Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. When you look at the lineup, you know, just yesterday, for instance, you know, it's, 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 it's Newt Bar and it's Donovan, um, and a Gorman type of a guy, and even an Edmund, and you don't really think much of those guys until all of a sudden you look at he's got a 780 OPS and he's got a 790 OPS, and, and they can really do some damage. It's a tough, tough lineup. You know, and by the way, I didn't even say Goldschmidt and Arenado. That was Jim Hickey, former, I guess current, maybe? I'm not really sure, honestly. Washington Nationals pitch. Coach, formerly with the Cubs as well. We talked to him during the baseball season about the Cardinals' offense. With Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Appreciate you guys tuning in today. If you are driving right now, be very careful out there. Looks like the heart of the storm is officially here. It is freezing cold outside. Tanner, to warm things up, we got to talk about the Cardinals' offense. Because yesterday, over on MLB.com, They put out an article ranking the 10 best offenses in baseball as of today. This could change. There could be moves that are made that completely alter the the rankings on this list. But as of today, MLB.com put out their top 10 offenses in the sport and the St. Louis Cardinals ranked fifth. The top five were number one, the New York Mets. No surprise there. Number two, the San Diego Padres. Number three, the Houston Astros. I think that is the first tier of offenses in baseball right now. Those three teams. Number four was the Toronto Blue Jays. Number five, the Cardinals. And behind them, this is interesting to me, the Braves at six, the Dodgers at seven, the Phillies at eight. At least based on one ranking, the Cardinals right now projects to have a better lineup than three of the top contenders in all of baseball. Let's start here. Do you think that's fair? Do you think it is reasonable to have the Cardinals that high among the top offenses in baseball as currently constructed. I I think it's fair because I go back to the thing that I've mentioned the last handful of times over the last week is according to the projections, the Cardinals could have 11 players that are, uh, that are over 110 WRC plus in in terms of weighted runs created. So I I, I think that's possible. And I think it goes back to the conversation too, of if guys hit their ceiling, especially, I mean, you're talking about a lineup that's going to be extremely deep, one through seven, one through six, where you could have two legitimate leadoff hitters in Lars Nupar and Brendan Donovan at the top of your order. We all know what Goldie, Arnado, and Contreras are going to be. And then we've seen if O'Neill's ends up being returning back to 2021 Tyler O'Neill, 
You're talking about an MVP caliber player that's hitting sixth in a lineup, which is just amazing to think about. And also, if Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman continue to take strides forward, we're talking about guys that have 20, 30 home run potential. Also, I didn't even mention Dylan Carlson yet as well, who's a guy that we've mentioned could be a really good player, hit 260, has 20 home run power. Like, it's easy to see how it's possible the Cardinals could have a top five offense in Major League Baseball. Now, granted, if those pieces don't hit their stride, I I think you're talking about more of not a top five offense in baseball. I think you're talking more about a middle-of-the-pack offense in baseball. But I can definitely see where you can come to the conclusion of, yeah, they have the potential to be a top five offense in Major League Baseball. The reason I like bringing up the national opinion of the local teams is because sometimes we lose the the forest through the trees. And what I mean by that is like somebody on the text line, 65780, zero comfort service text line from the 636. Guys, there's just no way that the Cardinals lineup is better than the Phillies. There is a way. And it's not crazy to think. Tanner, your disclaimer there is, yeah, but some of these guys might not end up reaching their ceilings. The same thing is true for the Phillies. What if Bryson Stott is just not a very good hitter or Alec Bohm takes a slight step back or Brandon Marsh is the guy that he was with the Angels instead of the guy that he was at the very end of the season briefly with the Phillies? What if last year what we saw from Nick Castellanos is real and he's just not a great hitter anymore and for whatever reason, he's had some regression, he's getting up there in age a little bit now and he's not going to be that 280, 290 hitter that hits for power. Well, now you're basically four or five deep in their lineup and the second half of their order is looking a lot like the Cardinals did in the last few seasons. Well, that might not be a great lineup. The reason why we think of the Phillies the way that we do is because we don't see them a ton here in St. Louis. And when we did, man, they crushed. They absolutely crushed. And they have a couple of left-handed bats at the top of the order, specifically with Schwarber and Harper. And when those guys come up to the plate, you are terrified as an opponent. Let's be fair, though. The Cardinals have a couple of those guys. They're not lefties, but right-handed hitters, specifically with Goldie and Arenado, when other teams face you, they are terrified of what's going to take place when those two come up to the plate. You have the potential of adding one more of those guys to your lineup with Wilson Contreras. I think the expectation this year is that he's about 20, 25% above league average offensively. It's a damn good hitter to plop into the middle of your order. And oh, by the way, you've got a pain in the ass to pitch to in Brendan Donovan. Lars Newbar looked like he broke out last year. Tyler O'Neill was an MVP candidate two years ago. And you surround that with a bunch of young upside talent with guys like Yepes and Carlson and maybe Walker at some point this year. And then a bunch of others that could be up by the end of the season. That has the potential to be a very good lineup. Here's a follow-up question. Not just could they be good. What has to happen for them to be the best? Because yesterday you made a case that the Cardinals could end up slugging their way to the World Series. And I pushed back on that slug, notion a little baby, bit. Slug, baby, slug. Is there any scenario that is realistic in which the Cardinals finish the year with not a top five offense? They did that last year by a lot of metrics. But finish with the singular best offense in all of baseball. Is that possible for this team? I, I think it is possible. Now, I wouldn't bet on that happening, but I think it is possible where... Tyler O'Neill returns to form and is healthy. You've got Jordan Walker who comes up and is a contributor. Or Lars Nupar hits his potential that we've talked about where he could potentially be an all-star when you look at his baseball savant page. There's a lot of red on that page. And Carlson's healthy. I, 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 think, it's, I think it is possible you could see the number one offense. And the other thing that I was just about to bring up too is a lot of these teams, the Phillies kind of have this now that they've added Trey Turner, but a lot of teams also don't have the base running that the Cardinals have. And I'm not just talking about 
base running in terms of going like first to third. I'm talking about stolen bases. Tommy Edmond has the potential to steal 30 bases. Tyler O'Neill, if he's healthy and he runs, he's definitely got the potential to be a 30-30 guy or at minimum a 30-20 guy. A large new bar's got speed to where he can steal some bases. Like the Cardinals can be more aggressive, I think, than some other teams can be, which also goes to creating runs, going going from a single from Tommy Edmond to getting the second base on a stolen base. And then you've got a runner in scoring position, and here comes the Cardinals middle of the order. Or Lars Newpark can do that. So I think for them to be a number one offense, I think there has to be some there has to have the Tyler O'Neill hitting his ceiling, Lars Newport or Jordan Walker getting to the peak of what we think they can be this season. And you see them continue to be aggressive on the base paths this year and Contreras coming in and basically kind of filling the spot of what Albert Poulos was in the second half. That's how I think they become the number one offense in baseball. I think Carlson has to be able to hit left handed. Edmund has to be able to hit left handed. You need Donovan, what you saw last year, to be real. Newt to take what you said, the second half of the season and build that into a full season. And Tyler O'Neill reverts back to the player that he was when he was healthy. If all of those things happen, it's a lot. No, by the way, I didn't even mention Jordan Walker. I don't think he fits into this criteria. He's an X factor. He's the guy that you just add in kind of like the Braves did last year with Michael Harris. And if he ends up being something that is special, who buddy? Now that is the the cherry on the top of this Sunday. Yepes and Gorman got to get their one of them, or are they probably. like X factors? Okay, I, was say, I think one of them has to. I think it's this is why when we were talking about the outfield, I have less concern about it than I think a lot of other people do because I think you have so many numbers that I want to find out what these guys are first. And if it doesn't work, all right, now we can potentially make a move. There's always bats that can be available that are corner outfielders or DHs at the deadline. And this is where I want to get to something that Kevin Wheeler said on the best podcast in baseball that I listened to last night. He was with Derek Gould. I think this is a really important point, and it's where I stand on the Cardinals now as well. Here's Kevin Wheeler. Which is the most effective way to know exactly what you're going to need to do? Is it to use your bullets now, or is it to say, we're, we're going to win this division assuming we have reasonably good health. I'm going to know better what I need in June than I do right now. Because I'm going to know then what's Tyler O'Neill doing, what's Lars Newtbar doing, what's Yepes doing, what's Gorman doing, what's Carlson doing, and and by the way, how's Wayno fit in? Yeah, yeah. How, how's Wayno? What's Miles Michaelis looking like? Uh, yeah. How's Montgomery? Is Jack Flaherty healthy? And I think the problem now is to solve these problems now, you're going to have to go really big on more than one thing, um, and you might end up solving a problem that doesn't need to be solved or that isn't a problem to begin with and then missing out on that opportunity later in the year. That's where I stand. I view this as being kind of like the Blues last year, where they went into the season and they were like, do we have a top four defenseman in this roster? Or don't think so. But let's find out. And the answer was a very definitive, very early no. no. Like a resounding no, there was not a top four defenseman on the roster. Guess what they did? They found one. Now, we can have our qualms about whether or not Nick Letty is a true top four defenseman, <laughs> but they went out there and they got the guy that was the best available player to fit what they needed at the time, and they damn near went on a run to the cup as a result of that move. That's how I feel about the Cardinals. Do I think they have three starting outfielders for a contender? I genuinely do not know. I can't answer that with a definitive yes right now because I don't know what Tyler O'Neill is. I don't know what Dylan Carlson is. I don't know if what we saw at the second half of last year from Lars Newbar is real. If those things all come back in an affirmative, then trading for an outfielder or signing an outfielder this offseason would have been a waste of capital. 
it would have been a waste of going out there and using some of those prospects to bring that guy in. It would have been a waste of that potential money if they had signed Cody Bellinger, for example. Instead, hold on to that capital, that payroll flexibility, or those prospects and utilize it as we get closer to the trade deadline. Maybe they don't end up needing an outfielder. Maybe instead they need that number one starter, or maybe both of those things end up coming back and it's like, hey, our outfield's good. Jack Flaherty is a legit number one starter. Can we just go out there and get like three bullpen arms because our bullpen is hurt now? That's something you could do. So that that is the way that I would approach this. I think they did it the right way this offseason. And this is not me covering for the Cardinals. This will require something that is very hard to do potentially, which is actually making the big move at the trade deadline. Something this team has not done in more than a decade. They got to make a splash potentially, but that's the way that I think it's best constructed for this team to go about it. And and that's exactly what I was going to bring up was if you go this route, and I agree with you, I don't think it's necessarily the wrong idea to, okay, let's see if we have the answers internally. And I think this also dates back to the Randy Rosarena situation where Mo basically said publicly, yeah, we didn't truly see what we had in Randy Rosarena. We kind of moved on early. I think it dates back to that too. And they've learned from that mistake. So I agree. I think it makes sense to go into this season, go, okay, let's just see, throw the numbers at it, see what we have, make sure that we have, make sure we don't miss out on an everyday outfielder on our roster. But it always comes back to me to where I'm just questioning, okay, would they be, will they Will they go make that trade if it turns out that they don't have an outfielder? And that's the only reason I would say I'm skeptical that they do that because they haven't shown a willingness to do that in the past. And that's where I come on the side of that's why I would have added someone like a Benintendi in the offseason because then I'm, okay, there's the certainty that they're looking for, and then we can piece it together with the other two go- the two other outfield spots that we have instead of three. But I, I, I think that is the right way to go into it now that the best outfield free agents are off the board and there's not really anybody on the market that I can go and say, yeah, okay, that guy provides certainty, and he's worth bringing in and replacing so-and-so in the lineup. But you have to be willing to make the move at the deadline now if, if it doesn't work out. And that's where that's where I become skeptical of if the Cardinals are willing to do that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. You got something on this, Grant? I was just going to say, you know, if you want to compare this to hockey, like look at Calgary and Florida this offseason. Like you don't really know what you have until you see it on the field or on the ice. Like everybody expected Calgary to be this juggernaut this season. They're middle of the pack right now. And they got Jonathan Huberdeau, Mackenzie Weger. They got Nazem Kadri. Like, now they're stuck. That's, now that's they're the stuck. worst part is look like now Florida. they're in the middle of the pack. And look at Florida too. They have the best offense all of last season. And right now, they are sixth in the Atlantic. And they just got one of the biggest fish of the offseason with Matthew Kachuk. They have 34 points in 34 games. The Blues have 33 points in 33 games. To put some context on that, they are essentially the same team as the Blues so far. Yeah, you really don't know what you have until you see it come season. Do you know who has the best offense in the NHL this season? I would assume Buffalo. I think Buffalo. 3.94 goals a game. Unfortunately, they also have the worst goal suppression in the NHL, which is a a bit of a problem. But yeah, they're they're super fun to watch. Like if you're playing daily fantasy right now, the Buffalo Sabres are the team to stack every night. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Speaking of hockey, we're talking to Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Want to get his thoughts on what the Blues were missing without Jordan Cairo, what they will be missing if he's out for any sort of an extended period of time. We'll get into that with Joey coming up at 1130. Also want to talk a little little bit about Christmas with Joey. I'm very curious to find out what he does when it comes to the Christmas light situation, especially when he's had as much travel as they have lately. We'll do all that coming up at 1130, but coming up next, I've got a question for slew fans. Want to hear from you on the text line at 65780. Is this enough? Is this level of your program where you want it to be? Or should you be striving for more? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Expectations are a fickle thing. I'm a Missouri Tigers fan. And for my football team, I expect them to go roughly seven and five every year. That's where I stand. You, you go seven and five. Yeah, I know. You feel okay about it. That's the threshold. Anything above that, good year. Anything below that, less than great year. In recent seasons, there's been a lot of less than great years. And you know what happened when that takes place over too long of a period of time? Barry Odom gets fired. That's what happens at Missouri when you fail to meet expectations. That being said, there are a lot of programs that are unreasonable, at least their fan bases, that are unreasonable with their expectations. Some places, like Nebraska, looking at you, think that they should be going 9-3 and three every single season, and it is their birthright to be towards the top of the Big Ten standings. That is not the case, of course, but that's how they feel. And so when they fail to meet those expectations, even when they have a solid coach, they run him out of town, and then they fire him, bring in a new guy, and it's the same cycle over and over and over again. I do think it is very important to understand where you are in the pecking order of your respective sport and what reasonable expectations are for that uh, specific team. This brings us to SLU. The SLU Billikens last night were up 13 with six minutes to play. They were playing against SIU Edwardsville, a team that had not beat SLU in 40 years. According to Ken Palm, SIUE is the 190th best team in the country this season. That is a loss that just can't happen. Now, I understand, like, first of all, credit to SIUE. They won that game every bit as much as SLU choked it away. But this is now the fifth loss on the season for SLU. You lose to Maryland and Auburn. Those are excusable losses. Those are very good opponents that you're going up against. You had a really nice win earlier this season against Memphis. Then you lose in your last four games three times against Iona, Boise State, and SIUE. This appears to be a season that is not heading in the right direction. And now the only way, in my opinion, and I think this is pretty definitive at this point, that SLU will get into the NCAA tournament is if they win the A-10 tournament and get that automatic bid out of the A-10. I bring up the expectations because I'm honestly curious for SLU fans, what are your expectations for this program? I understand that for for many of you, and I'm not saying you're wrong on this either. What you have seen, not just this season, but in previous years from Travis Ford, is good enough. He wins you a consistent 20-plus games. He's recruiting well. There is buzz and energy around the team, especially in some of these big non-con games. You go into every season feeling like this is the team that could potentially not just get into the NCAA tournament, but maybe do some damage when you get there. You also look back at the history of this program outside of Rick Majerus, and there have been a lot of years where, you know, it's okay, but very rarely in SLU's recent history, at least, are you a consistent, like, top 25, top 30 team nationally. And so I say all of that to ask this. 65780 is your comfort service text line. What are you expecting out of this program? I think that it should be a little bit more. And I'm starting to wonder if that's going to happen under Travis Ford. I think Travis Ford's a very good recruiter. We saw that in his time at Oklahoma State. 
I think it's becoming clear, though, that there's a ceiling with him as your coach. And I I just I don't know how slew fans feel about if this is the ceiling. Do you want to keep running this back over and over and over again and continuing this cycle? Yeah, I I, I think there's still more there to be accomplished for SLU. I, I think there is a little bit more to expect, and I think that's fair. And I, I'm not sure that Travis Ford has reached those expectations so far. I, I think that when you look at this, I, I think SLU, I'm not saying they're ever going to be a team that you always expect to be top 25 or a team that's constantly going to the Sweet 16, but they should be able to win the A-10 Conference just about every year or be a team that's right up there, one, two, them in Dayton, or should be the teams that are rotating in and out for the A-10 conference championship and like this year I, I i don't know what to think of slew and they're not even in conference play yet but they are not clicking together i i thought this was maybe the most talented team travis ford has had in his time here so i had high expectations for them like they should have beaten auburn in my opinion i thought they were the better team for that for most of that game and they found a way to lose um so i i think it's fair to have higher expectations because i i think they should be a team that is constantly they're competing for the A-10 title, and it feels like every year we've had this conversation in the office where it feels like there's high expectations in the A-10, and SLU just kind of floats around during conference play. Like, the most wins, 12 wins is Travis for 12 and 6 is the most he's ever gotten in conference play, and that's a pretty good mark, but it, they haven't won the tournament constantly. They've only been to the NCAA tournament uh, Also, once doing that in Travis the A-10 Ford. is a little different than doing that in the Big 12 or the Big 10 or the ACC. It, exactly. So, I, I think there is still more that I think it's fair to have higher, a little bit higher expectations for SLU, and I kind of agree with you. I, I, I don't know if they, they've gotten there yet with Travis Ford, and, I, and I'm not sure they will. I think we've reached the point where they have kind of topped out of what they could do with Travis Ford. And to your point on them winning the A-10 to get in, I mean, they're going to have to. I mean, their resume is not strong enough to get in without, without, without winning the A-10 tournament, and I was just looking. There is not a team inside the top 75 of net rankings when you look at those for college basketball, which the committee will look at. And if this holds true throughout the season, the highest is Dane at 88. You've got SLU at 98. If this holds true, that means the winner of the 8-10 tournament will come out of it without having a quad one win. So it's going to come down to you have to win the 8-10 tournament to get into the college basketball tournament. Yeah, I mean, you look at it just by Ken Palm. That's what I use more often than not. Dayton and Richmond are the only teams other than SLU to be ranked in the top 100. Dayton is at 61 right now. Richmond's at 98 right now. SLU is sitting at 73. Just not a good conference. Like Based on the quality of the teams that you're going to be going up against this year. So even if SLU did go 12-6, and 13-5, and 14-4, and four, whatever it is, it's not enough. Like it, it, It's not going to matter what they do in conference play. It's all about what they do in the tournament. So it, it's a rough spot to be in, and some of that is just a reality of playing in this kind of a conference. I'm not like trying to make any excuses for them or anything, but uh, I I genuinely don't know what SLU does because I, I think they're I, I do think Travis Ford is a solid coach. I think you could do way worse than Travis Ford. Like the reality is, if SLU were to fire Ford and to go with somebody else, they probably get worse. Yeah. They probably get worse. But there's also that chase for the ceiling. And this is where I think things get very difficult if you're an athletic director at a place like SLU is, do you chase that ceiling? Or do you accept the fact that you're pretty good right now? You consistently have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. You do have some buzz in a city where you're you're in a major city as a local team. Do you just stick with this? And I think the answer is probably yes. I, I do think you run it back at least for another couple of seasons. And I know that there are some people that believe that his seat is starting to get hot. I think it's warming 
I do not think it is hot yet, and I don't think it should be hot yet because I think that this is a a coach that has done well enough that unless something just – if this thing goes completely off the rails, maybe it changes. But for right now, I, I don't think we're there yet. I think this was just a bad night more so than it is right now a bad season. I I agree with you there. I don't think his seat is hot yet. I do think it is warming. I, I think next year will be the year that probably determines this because he's going to lose – bunch of key pieces going into next season and that's where it comes down to the recruiting that you're talking about can he kind of refill this roster because he's had Collins for a while like they, they've got some of the same pieces that have been there for a handful of year two years now so I, I I think this is the best team that he's had in his tenure here and it's kind of sputtering along and we'll see how they do an A-10 play maybe they win the A-10 tournament they get in and, and I think that would that definitely cools the seat you make the NCAA tournament his safe his seat or his seat is safe sorry Dang it! I just did the brights or the lightest. Um, but but I think if you miss the tournament this year, it's going to come down to next year. I think next year is the year that you can circle as kind of keep an eye on his seat because I think it's warming. I don't think it's hot enough yet to where they would consider moving on. I think next year's the year that I've got kind of circled to keep an eye on the SLU basketball program. All right. Speaking of college basketball locally, I circle the bragging rights game every be a single wolf year. In the Mizzou versus Illinois here in St. Louis tonight. Ken Palm is predicting a five-point win for Illinois. They are predict- oh, projecting this thing to be very close. The Vegas line is about six and a half. Oh, we got to cover. Good Starts cover. at eight o'clock. Tanner, th- I, we were talking about this a little bit before the show today. You're an Illinois fan. I'm a Mizzou guy. This rivalry, to me, is everything that is right about college basketball. And what I mean by that is... Illinois and Mizzou, regardless of which conference Missouri is in, regardless of what their programs are like at any given time, and there have been times where one's up, the other's down, and vice versa, these teams, when they get together every single time, seemingly, it is a fun, close, enjoyable game to watch. And for the border war, which went away for so long for Mizzou because they decided to change conferences or there's so many other like big time Texas versus Texas A&M, for example, big time rivalries that have just gone to the wayside because of conference realignment. This is one of the rare ones that has stuck through the test of time and every year for what, 50 years now? We have seen this game in the city of St. Louis other than the one off year where they played in Columbia because of COVID. It is one of my favorite rivalries in sports, and I think that tonight has a chance to be a really fun game because these two teams stylistically match up in a way where it's going to be an up-and-down, up-and-down type of a game. Yeah, I really love this rivalry because it's going back, and I didn't realize that it dated back this far. The last time they didn't play this in back-to-back years, they all the way back to 74-75 because 76, they picked it up after 1955 and it's continued on since then, and it is one of those great rivalries, and I, I wish that more rivalry rivalries would stay, even though we've had all this conference realignment. The border war, I mean, you, I saw how much you enjoyed that this year playing Kansas, doing it the year Until prior. the game was played. Yeah, well, yeah, that's fair. But then, <laughs> that, that, that was less great. <laughs> I mean, that might happen tonight, too. Uh, but I, I think you need more rivalries like this that stick around. I wish they were still playing in football every year. I, I always enjoyed it when they would They're play. They're ready to. They're starting it back up here pretty soon. I, I really enjoyed when they would play week one because my dad's a Missouri fan, so I could always remember like me and him going at it when we were at the house and watching the games. And then looking at tonight's matchup between Illinois and Mizzou, I, I mean, I think Mizzou's got a legitimate chance to win tonight. Like I, I think if they can 
force some turnovers because Illinois is loose with the basketball and tried to give poor Brad Underwood a brain aneurysm. Uh, and if they can get out in transition and hit their threes, they're, they're going to take down Illinois. Illinois' transition defense is bad, and they turn the ball over. And Mizzou's capable of doing that. So tonight should be interesting. I do think Illinois will win. I think they're going to kind of right the ship. Uh, coming off all their leadership questions that Brad Underwood's been addressing in the media, but I, I think it will be close. I think this has got a chance to be a game where Mizzou covers that five and or was it six and a half point spread. So it, it should be entertaining, and I think Mizzou's got every chance to win. The last four times that Illinois has come into this thing ranked, Missouri has won the game outright. So yeah, looking forward to that tonight. Not happen tonight. Very excited for Bragg and Rights to return. Coming up in about fifteen minutes, six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, we'll get into that coming up at eleven. 45 but next joey vitale our blues analyst for 101 espn joins us here on bk and ferrario we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend and the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. And for one night on Friday, the Blues pre, post, and intermission analyst over on Bally Sports Midwest. He's Joey Vitale here on BK and Joey, Ferrario. Joey, Joey, Joey. <sighs> Joey, what's up, man? What's going on, fellas? I'm doing great. Doing great today. How are you? Uh, doing fantastic. Let's start with a little bit of Christmas talk, because I'm curious what the, the Christmas time is like in the Joey Vitale household. How do you do it up when it comes to the Christmas lights, the Christmas decorations? How big do you guys go out there? You know what? We, we go pretty big, and we go early. Big and early. You know, right after, right after really Halloween is when, when my crazy wife, uh, she, she jumps about. right in. Yeah, she just jumps right into the fold. She she doesn't mess around. She's never been a Thanksgiving person, and you know Christmas is so special. And we have so many Christmas decorations. She likes to at least get at least two months out of everything. Now, what's weird about it though, too, is as she starts really early. I know this, this bums people out. I tell you what, come Monday, December twenty sixth, I, I guarantee you by the evening, every single Christmas decoration in our house will be down. Like, as, as early as it gets up, we are very quick. Because, you know, it's kind of depressing. I don't understand people that, you know, keep up the decorations for, like, a week or two weeks after Christmas. It makes no sense to me. Like, you know, like Tillis Park, they do all the great great lights all the way pre, and then they open for a week after Christmas. Like, who would want to drive through Christmas lights after Christmas? It doesn't make any sense to me. But, the, but yeah, the decorations, we, we get them up early. Um, we do them often. Uh, but right when it's over, it's over. And I tell you what, we have a pretty action-packed weekend, a lot of bouncing around. A couple things got canceled because of the snow here today. Uh, and tomorrow, but aside from that, just a ton of family time. Um, our elf has been keeping a very close eye on uh, the kids for Santa, been delivering hopefully good messages. The elf's been a little mischievous this year. He's been getting into my, my good bread flour the other day. Um, you know, I, I don't buy the cheap flour. I get really good flour. I go, I go to Janie's Mill there in Illinois. It's all stone ground, like heirloom grain, you know, red turkey wheat. That, that, that's the good stuff. I mean, it's expensive, too. And all of a sudden, uh, I woke up one morning, that little mischievous elf, he's in my bucket of flowers. I had to dump the whole flower out. Yeah, Baker Joe wasn't happy that morning. <laughs> Joey, are you a guy that's got the inflatables up outside? Are you the classic, like the, the rope lights? What's, what's the outside of Joey Vitale's house look like around this time of the year? It's pretty classic. You know, we, we did blow up with the kids for a while. I think, listen, I love, I love a good blow up. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, I, you know, we're, we got a big old Santa. Uh, I mean, I'm talking uh, – Macy's, Macy's size. Like, you'd see this thing at Macy's. My wife, 
about three years ago. I told you she was crazy. You know, all of a sudden a big semi truck pulls up in our driveway a few years ago. And I'm like, what the heck is this? I'm having a bowl of cereal. And she goes, oh, that's our Sienna. And they have like a pitchfork bringing this box out of the back of this like semi. I'm like, well, how big is it? She's like, oh, it's like a seven, eight foot Santa. And, and, and this thing, this thing's wide. Like it takes three guys to get it up and down the stairs. I mean, this thing is huge. I mean, it's massive. So we have that on our front porch and it's kind of become the thing in the neighborhood where kids will wave the Santa as they drive by. So it's obviously weatherproof so you can stand outside, but this thing is huge and it's heavy. So we got that and my wife does the garland. I've never been a garland guy just because putting up and down and just never looks right to me, but she does the garland. And uh, we, we keep it pretty classic. Uh, we, we end up not doing lights this year uh, because I've been traveling so much with the blues and everything. So it's been hard to, it's been hard to, you know, do as many decorations on the outside. Cause that's generally my job, but mm-hmm. from the inside, it's, yeah, it's like, uh, it's like old St. Nick had a, had a party in our house. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Joey, that's how I was this year as well. I, I started put or I started thinking about putting up the lights, and that was like right around Thanksgiving time. And then it got cold. Then we had a couple of weekends where we were traveling, and it gets dark now at like four o'clock. And so you try going out there, like okay, it's pitch black by the time I've started. It I I got about a week away from Christmas, and my wife was like, "So are we are we putting up lights this year?" And I was like, "Yeah, okay, for sure. We'll we'll, we'll go ahead and put something out there." So I I kind of half-assed it, but we've got them up now nonetheless. Yeah, I tell you what, my wife, she actually said to me, we were coming home the other day too, BK. I mean, uh, she goes, do you think we need more more outdoor lights? I'm like, honey, it's like Christmas in like three days. Like, what Like, what do you want me to do? You want me to go down and get the lights? And she's like, yeah, I just feel like it's not enough. I'm like, I think it's going to be just fine. But, you know, one of the things, one of the things for a lot of you know parents or young kids out there, you know, a fun game you can do if you're looking to kill some time this weekend, if, if, if you are needing to kill some time, we, we typically will, a tradition for us is whenever we're driving, we find, or at least we have a competition in the car that which or who who can find the most Christmas houses with the Christmas spirit. So you're driving, and there's a, there's a good Christmas spirit house. So the kids are constantly in the back saying Christmas spirit, Christmas spirit. Do I call that one first? Do I call that one first? And it usually ends up in a fight, but at the same time, at least they're not yelling at you. They're yelling at each other, which uh, gives mom and dad a bit of a breather. But uh, certainly, certainly appreciate a good decorated house. Uh, we are lacking a little bit this year on the outside, though, and that's my bad. Joey Vitale is our guest here on 101 ESPN. All right, Joe, a couple of uh, Blues questions for you while, before we get you out of here. Uh, Blues take on the Vegas Golden Knights, as we mentioned, tomorrow night. It's a late one out there in Vegas. What are you expecting out of the Blues after that weird performance against Seattle? That, that almost felt like a scheduled loss to me where you're playing like your fourth game in six days and you've got a back-to-back. You're driving down to Seattle. You've got Cairo out of the lineup. What are you expecting from them after having a few days off out in Vegas? You know, this is one of those, BK, I, I think it could go either way. I mean, it's, it's either going to be really, really good or really, really bad. I'm actually leaning towards the good side. I think that this is a game, I remember it as a player, this is the game where every player in that game is thinking on, is thinking one thing, only naturally. I can't wait for the game to be over. I can't wait to be with my family, right? And, and that's just natural, right? I think the team that avoids that trap the most and can focus more on the, the game of hockey in, the, in those moments is going to be the team that is going to prevail. And I like the fact that the Blues are on the road for that. And, you know, when you're at home, like the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, they, they have one game, but then they're off, right? They're off tonight. So this is a team that a lot of families, a lot of wives and children, you know, you're going to be in and around your house today, tomorrow. 
you know, the music's going to be on the Alexa, the Christmas carol. You're going to be helping your wife you know, decorate, helping you know, all the Vegas Golden Knights will be helping, you know, wrap, wrap some presents for some family members. So it's already kind of starting to be in Christmas mode, even though Vegas still has a game. So the benefit for, for me in St. Louis right now is the fact that they are on the road in this last game where you can almost compare it kind of a little bit to like why a lot of teams don't win at home to, to capture a Stanley Cup because there's just a lot of pressure. There's a lot of things going on and, um, a lot of maybe let's call it quote unquote distractions uh, that get you away from the sport of hockey. Not saying they're bad distractions, but there certainly are distractions when it comes to uh, not not being on on time or not being ready to start the game and and playing a sixty minute style. So the fact that the Blues are on the road, I think it does kind of pull them away from kind of this Christmas spirit thing going on. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights certainly on home ice are going to be dealing with heading to tomorrow night's game. So hopefully that is going to be an advantage. I know that they're certainly looking to bounce back from that Seattle game. And another player's perspective, I'll never forget the game before Christmas, and you'll never forget the game really before the All-Star break, and certainly the last game of the season. You, you want to go out feeling good. You want to go out feeling good about your game. Those Blues players, every single one of them, if you're Tory Krug, you want to be heading into Christmas break feeling good about your game. And the only game that really matters at that point is the last one, which is going to be tomorrow night against the Vegas Golden Knights. Joey, what have you made of Nick Letty in the last handful of games? Taking away the Seattle one because it was a rough night for him and Colton Preco as he was a minus four. But I thought the game at Vancouver and at Calgary were some of his best games of the season. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think he, to me, what I'm noticing more and more, and I talked to Troy Brower about this when we were sitting up in the stands during the morning skate in Calgary. You know, I talked about, you know, Nick Letty, the way the way he skates, it's it's quite, it's quite an anomaly, actually, because he scoots so well and he gets up the ice so well. You know, we see him like the last those games you're talking about. He's attacking through the middle of the ice. He's leading the rush, right? He's moving, but his his, his legs aren't moving like you'd expect him to be moving in order to go as fast as he's going. You know, I, I told Alex and I were talking the other day. I mean, Grant, you probably remember we were kind of comparing the two skaters. You know, Nathan Walker, and then of course Nick Letty. And, you know, to answer your question there, Tanner, it's, it's one of those things where Nick Letty, it looks so effortless. You know, he looks like he's on one of those motorized bikes where he's not, his feet aren't even moving, but the bike's flying. And you do that because of the, the weight transfer on, on those edges, right? You have an inside edge, you have an outside edge. And when you even just lean one way or another, the edges are actually cutting in the ice. And, you know, he's just such an, a dynamic skater. He does not get enough credit for his ability to skate. And it looks so effortlessly. He gets there. He's got great one-on-one move to the neutral zone. And to me, what I really noticed in those, those games particularly you're talking about, Tanner, is that he has been driving through the middle, making those moves with speed, and then looking for a play. And, of course, it's added to some offense, which is not his M.O., but it's great to see him chip in on the offensive side of things because, you know, defensively it's gonna get, the job's going to get done for him as well. Joey Vitale, always appreciate the time, my man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. We wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas, and we'll be watching you over on Bally Sports Midwest. It'll be cool to see a little bit of a shakeup on all of the broadcasts on Friday night. With you being on the pre-post and intermission, we'll have Riz and Donnie along with Curbs down at uh, Hot Shots in Fenton here on 101 ESPN. Looking forward to seeing all that, listening to all of that, and we'll talk with you again next week. Hey, it sounds awesome. Thanks so much, boys. You guys have a great, a great, great Christmas. And, uh, yeah, my wife told me, hey, Bunny, you're going to be on TV tomorrow. She's going to give me a facial tonight. Nice. Maybe some sunless tanner on. I'm going to have a nice little glow on TV. Look look for that tomorrow. Do you have your outfit already picked out? You got your suit? 
Oh, buddy, don't you worry about it. You'll be tuning in. You'll see. I'm looking forward to it. That's Joey Vitale. Appreciate his time, as always, here on 101 ESPN. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to our weekend pick Alex is off. He's going to be joining us live from his basement, so we'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes or so to get our picks in for the week. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 65780 is the air cover service text line for Ask Us Anything. We'll get into our weekend pick coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Alex Ferrario will join us from his basement for that. Let's start with this from the 573. Guys, what was your I will always remember where I was when blank sports moment for 2022? The sports moment that happened and you're just never going to forget where you were for that. For me, it's very simple. I've got two of them. Both relate to the same player. <laughs> I know where you're going, too. <laughs> first one was Albert Pujols, his first home run back in St. Louis when the uh, Cardinals were playing against the Royals. I was in that moment, of course, naturally, in the parking lot because we had arrived late to that game, and I heard the roar of the crowd first as Nolan Arenado hit the home run and then as Albert Pujols hit the home run. Classic so That PK, was the first one. Late. The second one was when I was in Los Angeles for a wedding. And that night, we had the opportunity to go to the Dodgers versus the Cardinals game. Of course, at the time, Albert Pujols was chasing 700. And Albert hit 700 that night as I was at a restaurant watching on my phone in Los Angeles, about 15 minutes away from Dodger Stadium. So those are going to be the two for me because of the personal connection to them. Those would be the two that immediately come to mind. So I'll definitely always remember where I was when Albert hit number 700. I was just at my apartment, so like there's nothing special to it. I'll also always remember when the U.S. beat Iran in the 2022 World Cup. And the reason I say that is because, BK, do you remember what we were doing that day when that happened? You were standing on the side of the street in a Pinocchio outfit, holding up a sign, screaming at the top of your lungs, I suck at picks, listening to BK and Ferrario. And I'll always remember, I was outside with you watching the game on my phone while you were wearing a Pinocchio outfit. So that one will always stand out in my memory. I think the other one that I will remember forever from 2022 um, is the Chiefs versus Bills playoff game, the ending that one oh, yeah um, that, that would be the other one that immediately comes to mind what's what is that for for you i have a few Great. and I, I should probably never be allowed inside a st louis sporting event ever again because i was at enterprise center when jordan bennington got bulldozed by cadre uh, yeah i was at enterprise center when darren helm scored in game six and i was at bush stadium for game one of the Man, cardinals philly series luck. so yeah not a good year for me i'll also never forget i think it was 2022 it was uh, when the Bengals took down the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. I always remember yeah. watching that with you. There's photo memory of it, too. There were some really good sporting events this year. Like, genuinely excellent sporting events. The, the Cardinals, I mean, the collapse against the Phillies is one that I'll never forget. I was in the press box for that game. It was the first game of the playoffs, and I will never forget watching that live and just, like, I, I couldn't believe what I was watching consistently. From start to finish, it was like, you could just feel it happening 
and it was like watching something in slow motion and wanting to do anything to make it stop and there's just you're so unbelievably hopeless there's nothing that and you can do we kind of were you there at the game when Bennington got hit by Kadri? Uh, I think we were in the press box, right? No, I was in Pittsburgh when that happened. Okay, well, I guess I, he got hit here in St. Louis, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's because when you said you're in Pittsburgh, yeah. I was now thinking that I dreamt that it happened here in no, St. Louis. Yeah. It, but I, I remember. I think I was in the press box because I think I was with Alex when it occurred, and and like you could just feel like the air being let out of a balloon. Like it was so deflating. I can remember that. It kind of had the same feel to that Cardinals playoff game in game one. 65780 is the air comfort service X line from the 314. Guys, do you take any breaks from sports during the Christmas break or does your job require you to continue to pay attention? I would say this is the least stressful part of the year when it comes to our job. And the reason why I say that is just because like the Cardinals aren't playing every night. The Blues aren't playing every night. This These past couple of days where the Blues weren't playing, it was like, and there's, there's not a ton that I have to watch. So me and my wife can just watch whatever she wants to watch and I can actually be attentive at home. The tough part though is like, this job never actually stops. It's one of the things that I think is a bit of a misnomer for a lot of people whenever they hear what we do and when we work. I'll tell like either my family or Kara's family what I do and like what the hours are of when we actually are on the air. They're like, oh, so you work from 11 to two every day? That's awesome. Those are like the best hours ever. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm not complaining about it. I, I love my job. I would not want to do anything else in the world. This is the best job ever. But no, it's I, I'm not just working from 11 to 2. That's not exactly how this goes. I know it might not sound like it sometimes, but there is a ton of preparation that goes into a three hour radio show, whether it is listening to other stuff that you then repurpose into content or watching the games or I do a lot of writing. I do other podcasts like there's a ton that goes into stuff for this show. So uh, no, it's it's not just 11 to 2, and that's why, to answer the question directly, this job never stops. It, whether you're watching the games, following along, like, if you're out of it for a week, when I go on vacation, oh, it is so impossible lost. to get back into it, especially, like, during the heart of the Cardinal season, because you've missed five different Cardinals games, and there's 20 different things that you can react to in any individual game, so. Yeah, I... Will it be kind of a break to there's just not as much going on? Yeah, but like you said, we're always locked in. I, I'm probably on Twitter I, maybe every 10 minutes. I think I hop on Twitter. I'm always constantly checking that because that's where I get a big source of our information yeah. too is just seeing what's the breaking news in baseball or what's happening in the NFL. So will it be nice to be, be at home and kind of relax for a couple of days? Yeah, but we're still going to be paying attention to everything that's going on so we can react to whatever may occur in the sporting world on Tuesday when we get back. From the 314, final thing that we'll get to here, uh, how much time do you guys have to watch shows that you want versus uh, researching and prepping for the show? I, I heard this, I think it was from Colin Cowherd, and this is a number of years ago now. Um, he's always said, for every hour that you're on the air, you need to do a, at least an hour of preparation for that show. Uh, so, like, we do a three-hour radio show, three hours of preparation. That's kind of how it goes typically, but that's not including just the actual watching of the games and stuff like that. So I would say your typical show, we probably do three-ish hours of work. Uh, we we all, like, get here at different times, and it depends on kind of what happened the day before, how much stuff there is to get into in the morning of. But just to bring you, like, behind the curtain as to how our preparation works for the show – we all get together around 10 o'clock, go through whatever it is that we have topic-wise or sound-wise or guest-wise, 
and we'll go through the entire rundown at 10 o'clock to be able to set up that day's show from 11 to 2. So that's kind of the way that we work. And then after the show, we'll get together, talk again about kind of early preparations of what we have the next day. Later that night, we're all texting together. We'll be watching the games together. And then I typically send notes out to everybody on what I've seen, whether it be on the internet, Twitter, from the game, any reactions, what the guests are that we have, all that stuff. And then we, again, start it up the next day. So it's a never-ending cycle, but that's kind of the way, for those curious, how we prep for the show. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Blues at times this year have struggled to overcome adversity. What does that mean for the Cairo situation if he ends up being out again tonight against, or tomorrow, excuse me, against the Vegas Golden Knights? We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. Our weekend pick is coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex Safar- Safario? Alex Who? Ferrario, rather, is joining oh, us whoa. now via the Brown and Crippen <laughs> celebrity line. A guest on his own show. How about that? Here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It is time for our weekly pick'em. This week, we have seven NFL games to choose from. We have one college football game. Of course, it is the Mizzou versus Wake Forest game in the Gasparilla Bowl. And we've got the college basketball game of choice. That would be the Bragging Rights game, Illinois versus Mizzou. The way that this week's randomly generated draft order has been selected. Alex will have the first pick. Tanner will select second. I will go third, and then we'll snake it back around. I will have the fourth pick as well. Alex Ferrario, you begin things for us today with the number one pick in the weekend. Pick them. Before I pick, guys, I got something for you. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. What's every elf's favorite type of music? Alex, I will Gosh. hang up on you. <laughs> I should have known. Rap. It's rap music. Woo-hoo! Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm so All glad right, you're not in studio. Now to the reason why you guys called. This is why. We're starting this one off with the Alex Ferrario Lock of the Week. Okay. Cowboys minus five against the Eagles. Gardner Minshew's trash. We all know that. Just so you know, it's five and a half now. Is that okay? No, the email I was sent on the BK and Ferrario notes was minus five. That's what we're going with. Alex, it's five and a half points. Do you want it or do you not? You said it's your lock of the week, man. You got to have some confidence. Say it with your chest. Well, yeah, how do you lock it with a half a point? Yeah, I'll lock the damn thing. Five and a half points. Cowboys are going to saddle up and ride to a win. All right. uh, I, I like I like the confidence. I I appreciate it. Uh, I'm gonna turn to BK's favorite team. The Seahawks are playing like garbage of late. They're on the road against the Kansas City Chiefs. Mahomes, it's time they wake up for a change for the start of the game. They've been kind of sleepwalking. We're getting close to playoff time. That means you're getting the best out of the Kansas City Chiefs. Big spread. It's my specialty. Give me the Chiefs minus ten. Hey Alex. Yeah, buddy. I hate that pick. I think that is the worst oh. pick that he could have made this week. I I love. I would have selected the Seahawks with my first pick at plus ten. I know that really? they are without Tyler Lockett this week. The Chiefs are like the worst team in the NFL against the spread over the last eight weeks. 
They're up there with Tom oh. Brady. I love the Chiefs, obviously, but this is a it, the exact type of spot where they're going to struggle to be able to cover DK Metcalf. If you're playing fantasy this weekend, daily specifically, get yourself some DK Metcalf and some Geno Smith in those lineups. Man, Brandon hey, wins hey. one week, and he thinks he's hey, still he's got it. Yeah. Tanner, do me a favor. Don't clip off your soundbite of you picking this game. Click off BK when you win saying what he just said. I will. I will. All right. Go yeah. ahead. All right. All right, my fir- my first pick. <laughs> I'm going to Thursday night football. I like the Jacksonville Jaguars a lot tonight. You just you picked the Jets yesterday. I'm pretty sure. Nope. <laughs> no, they've got Zach Wilson. Uh, the Jaguars plus one and a half on the road at the Jets makes no sense to me. I know it is terrible weather. I get that. Somebody explain to me how the Jets are favored when they've got Zach Wilson starting. Anybody? Anybody got Josh anything? Gardner. Sauce Gardner. Okay, cool. I'm just not throwing his way, and I'll be able to complete passes elsewhere. I love the Jaguars mm-hmm. in this game. Can't wait to start 1-0 tonight on Thursday Night Football. My second one, I continue to be confused by Vegas's treatment of the Cincinnati Bengals. Last week, they were a three-and-a-half-point favorite down in uh, Tampa Bay. Started off, obviously, incredibly poorly. And then they won going away by just dominating for the last 45 minutes of that game. The Patriots are as bad as the ba- or the Buccaneers are right now. And the Bengals are a three-point road favorite in this one. That's it? I-, I just don't get it. I think that they are being completely overlooked by Vegas, completely overlooked by the public. The Bengals minus three to me is the best pick of the week. I love the Bengals minus three in this spot. See, I think this Man, is... Th- BK. Go ahead, T-Bone. I was going to say, this is my... My next pick is my lock of the week and Why also my favorite first, pick. Then, huh? Well, you know, I like the Chiefs. I didn't think any of you guys would be taking this. I'm going with the Dolphins minus three and a half against the Packers. You know what Aaron Rodgers is going to be doing in Miami? Looking at his retirement home. He's not focused on football. Packers stink. They're not in the. They're not legitimate in the playoff conversation. Let's just knock it off. Tony's going to put them in their place. Give me the Dolphins minus three and a half. BK, I clocked you talking during your two picks and explaining them for two and a half minutes. You spent two and a half minutes telling people the wrong answers. What does that feel like? Alex, our text <laughs> line right now, these are like seven different texts. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Ferrario's drunk. Has Ferrario been drinking already? Sounds like Alex has been hitting those cactus lime Mick Ultras already. Alex sounds like it's stout time already for the holidays. That was like seven different text messages all in relation to you in your first four and a half minutes on the station today so congratulations on what is it a resounding win for you in this appearance nah man 3 30 in the morning that's the time i woke up with a screaming baby so uh that gets you sounding like you're that but i'm just trying to squeeze whatever energy i have out of me left alex i haven't seen you today so i got to share this with you real quick so i had a an alex ferrario night my dog has decided that she no, 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 no. I wish. Um, my dog has decided that her stomach is, it, it's an its an upset tummy for her. She... Oh, kind of like yours. Yeah, exactly. From midnight up until 7 a.m., every hour on the hour, she decided I have to go outside to poop. And <laughs> I woke up, I'm not kidding you, seven different times to take my dog outside. And she would be out there, you know, because it takes a minute for her to do her business, even though she's seven pounds. I, I would be out there for like five, seven minutes. I I barely slept last night, and I feel like Alex Ferrario today. Did you 
did you have to go outside with her because that's where it feels no, even worse? No, that's why I got the fence put in, man. Greatest investment I've already oh, I've ever made. Shout out to Chesterfield you know Fence and Deck. Does? You know what my wife does, which is just crazy to me? When it rains, she goes outside with our little three-pounder and stands over her with an umbrella. What? <laughs> Are you serious? No, she cares about the dog, and I love the dog, too, but it's like, you're going to get wet. If you got to pee, you got to pee. A hundred percent. I'll wipe her off when she gets back in. That's absurd. That's that's the craziest thing I've ever heard on this station. That's why I'm, that's why my wife is the kindest person in the world. No, the craziest thing I heard on this radio station is your last two picks. Here are the next two picks, which are also Ferrario locks of the week. Alex, where are you? I'm driving in the snow. Okay, be careful out there, man. Uh, 49ers, home game, minus seven against Ty- Taylor Heineke. Let's be real. That defense isn't going to allow anything from Taylor Heineke and the Washington Commanders. 49ers minus seven, that's a lock for me. Now, there's no line on this Blues and Golden Knights. Is it just a straight-up pick them? Uh, We're not taking that game. Oh, we got rid of it? Okay. Never mind then. Your choices are Vikings at home against the Giants, Mizzou against Wake Forest in the Gasparilla Bowl, or Illinois versus Mizzou in the Bragging Rights game. God, I hate all of these, and I'm not going to back the Vikings or the Giants because that game is going to be very scary for me. So I'm going to back the one that I think is very true, and it's the Missouri basketball team is going to be trash against a good opponent in Illinois. Bragging Rights game, I'll take Illinois minus seven. That's what I'm talking about. That's a good pick right there. I and I. Alex is a Mizzou fan. You can't do that, man. Sure you can't, man. He's such a fraud. He's not even a Mizzou fan. No, no, you can't do that after picking me a line. I get out of here. By the way, it's six and a half now, so you got yourself a you added an extra half point here while subtracting one earlier. Congrats, so man. You came out in the wash. Uh with my, win, next, win, win. with my next pick, I'm not picking a bowl game. That doesn't matter. Mizzou's there just because they beat Bruce. Abilene Christian, so they're not really a bowl team. And I Bruce. and I was against this last night of it even being in the pick'em. So I am going to go with I the Vikings didn't show up against the Colts last weekend until the second half. I think they start off slow again. I think this game is close with the Giants. I think the Giants might win this week. I'm going to go Giants on the road at the Vikings plus three and a half. Worst pick of the week. No surprise came from Tanner Hendrickson. Uh, my next selection will be the Wake Forest Demon Deacons minus one and a half. You can't do that as a Mizzou the fan. The Missouri Tigers. The reason why is very simple. Yeah, what are you doing? Wake Forest has a very good offense. Missouri's defense is without two starting defensive ends. Wake Forest's defense loves allowing you to pass all over them. Only one problem. Missouri's best wide receiver, Dominic Lovett, has entered the transfer portal. It sure sounds like he's going to be headed to Georgia, and so they will not be playing with Dominic Lovett in this game. I'm going to take Wake Forest minus the point and a half. I would love nothing more than to be completely wrong on this and to come in on Monday morning, eat my crow, serve one last punishment for old time's sake, and for all of us to be able to get our laughs off on old BK, who picked the wrong side of a Mizzou game yet again. That'll happen, yeah. Alex, how you feeling out there, buddy? Absolutely happen. I'm fantastic. I got one more question for you guys. No. Uh, How are the roads? I'm not. No, I'm not falling for this. No. Okay, fine. But I'm gonna (laughs) get it in before I end, so don't worry. Uh, Roads are roads are fine. You know, like come on, just just don't drive like an idiot and you'll be fine. Don't slam on your brakes. Don't drive 10 miles an hour. The roads are fine. It's just really freaking cold out. So BK, make sure you wear your mittens and your earmuffs on your 
so your little fingers in your ears don't get you cold. Thank you, Alex. Hey, guys, how did Scrooge win the football game? I have no idea. The ghost of, the ghost of Christmas passed. Just, just drop him. <laughs> Bye, Alex. See have a happy Alex. holidays, buddy. It's Alex Ferrario joining us from the roads, giving no, do, us a live update. I do feel better, though, that we got a few more dad jokes in. You feel better about that? Yeah, a little bit. I can't decide if I feel better or worse. Uh, Alex's pick this week. By the way, we have a lot of favorites this week. That's the only reason I went Giants plus three and a yeah. half. Otherwise, every single pick would have been the favorite side yeah. of things. Alex has the Cowboys minus five and a half. He's got the 49ers minus seven. Illinois minus six and a half in the bragging rights game tonight. Tanner has the Chiefs minus 10. Terrible pick. Dolphins minus three and a half. Better pick. And the Giants plus three and a half. Another bad pick. I have the Jaguars minus one and a half. The Bengals minus three. And Wake Forest in the Gasparilla Bowl minus one and a half. Those are our picks for the week. Whether you want to follow them, fade them, somewhere in between, feel free to do so while you're watching the games this weekend. If you want to have a reference on who we have in each individual one, we'll tweet those out at 101 ESPN. Coming up in 15 minutes, it is Tanner's favorite time of the week. Believe it or not, if you've got a scenario, we'll tell you if we are believing it or not coming up at 1230. But next, the Blues are a team that has struggled to overcome adversity so far this season. What does that mean if Jordan Cairo is out once again tomorrow night? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, that's the that's the strength of this group and it has been for a long time is, you know, by committee, we, we fill gaps and uh, when we lose players, um, we're able to overcome things like that. So it, it is what it is. Everyone's facing it. So like I said, that's been a strong point of this team for years. That was Tori Krug earlier this season talking about how the Blues have dealt with injuries on the year alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis on Brandon Kylie. in 15 minutes. We'll get to believe it or not. Guys, I understand what Tori Krug is saying there. And last year, one of the stalwarts of the team was that they did overcome a lot of adversity from start to finish. And in 2019, I mean, that was the story of the season. They were hit with the lowest of the lows and they were able to dig themselves out of it. This year, though, it does seem like there have been times, whether it's in an individual game or just over the course of the season, that they have a really tough time responding to that adversity. I mean, you look at it. They lose early in that season, uh, the Winnipeg Jets game. That was their first, first loss on the year. Uh, Grice had the start in that one. They lose four to nothing. What happens next? They end up losing eight straight. In, in, in none of those games were they able, able to overcome that adversity. It just felt like it was the momentum swung in one direction, and they couldn't get it right back going in the other way. And in many of those games, they were giving up like two, three goals in an individual period where it was just like, whew, okay, game's over, and it sucks all of the energy out of the arena. Then suddenly they win against San Jose. They get that energy back. The momentum swings back in their direction. It's like, okay, everything's going well. They win seven in a row. Then it goes in the other direction again. And over their next seven games or whatever, they win none in regulation. And now it swung in the other direction in a good way. Now they just lost at Seattle. And it was Grison net once again. The defense looked like it had during their down times. They had a player out of the lineup in Jordan Cairo. They were on the back end of a back-to-back. A lot of this was, okay, I can explain it easily. But those could all also be used as excuses. 
because they got hit with adversity and they did not respond. What I'm very curious to see in this game tomorrow night against the Las Vegas Golden Knights is what happens if they are without Jordan Kyrou again? You're down a man who has now become like your clear-cut go-to player when you need a goal. Times are going poorly. Jordan Kyrou, more often than not, has come up with that goal recently for them. What happens for them now when he's not in the lineup? Potentially. We don't know what the status is for him tomorrow night. But what happens if he's not out there? That's the number one thing that I'm going to be paying attention to in this game against Vegas. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if their depth can come through for them because everybody's kind of moving up in in the order now that you have this injury to Jordan Cairo. Achari won't be on the fourth line. He'll probably be on the third line with the injury. So I think so far this year, the Blues have shown that they don't have the depth to make up for just a injury. And that's where it comes to that response and where you see the beginning of some of these losing streaks you no know, they were not good without Brandon Saad when he was out early in the year kind of the same when Buchnevich has been out they've been kind of lackluster it'll be interesting to see how they respond I I want to think that they've kind of turned the corner and are looking more of like the team that we were expecting coming into the year but it's hard to say that when every time I start to think that they revert back to the team they have been in the past I, I said it yesterday I, I think tomorrow's game against the Vegas Golden Knights will tell us all we need to know of whether or not yesterday's game against Seattle Kraken was a scheduled loss or not. And I I think if they come out and they look poor again, where they're just loose with the puck, turning it over, we'll we'll know, one, that it was the beginning of another down spiral for the St. Louis Blues, and two, that they just can't overcome any kind of injury. Anytime one of their top nine forwards has been out, it has become a major struggle for the St. Louis Blues so far this year. And I think that just comes to the fact of the matter where we've said it all year long, you know, they really need another top nine forward. If they're going to go out and add at the deadline, it needs to be another top nine forward for them because they just feel weak up there once you lose one player. This is my biggest concern for this team right now is so far this season, they've shown you that they can't overcome those injuries. And you look at last season and even in the playoffs, you had half of your defense out. You had Steve Santini playing in the playoffs. No disrespect to Steve Santini, but... Steve Santini was playing in the playoffs, and you were still winning games. And this year, one forward goes down, whether it's Saad or they were Bucinevich. playing eleven and seven in the playoffs. Yeah, like Steve Santini was <laughs> yeah. playing, and well, there were other depth defensemen to, beyond him. <laughs> they <laughs> like, had to play Scott Pronut, who had just come off of a, what was it? Was it a wrist injury? Yep. Like he because he was their power the play season. guy. He had to play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you had Krug out, Letty out. Wasn't Pareko out for a little yeah, they, while, they too? They basically didn't have a fourth line. They were playing yeah. Perunovic almost exclusively on the power play, and they decided it was worth it to have one fewer forwards in the playoffs to have that power play point specialist, and they overcame it. Like, they, they damn near went on a run despite everything going against them in the playoffs. Jordan Bennington gets hurt, and they still put together a pretty decent effort in the postseason. So that is just... That was the kind of team that they had last year. There is something to, and I listen, I'm a numbers guy. You guys, anybody that's listening to this knows it. I do believe in momentum. I think that's a very real thing, whether it's in game or in season. I do believe in like the belief of a team being able to overcome stuff. Now, I think that it can go too far in one direction where you do it so often that you start to think, okay, regardless of what the score is, we're going to be able to come back eventually. So a little bit of that last year in the Blues. Yeah, and then eventually you're like, okay, you guys are like, eventually you got to start beginning these games off the right way. Otherwise, there will be a team that you can't come back against. So it can go almost too far in that direction. But this year's team, I just don't have that yet. Whether it's at six on five, all of the struggles that they've had there, or if it's just in an individual game where you give up the wor- the, the bad goal, goes in against you, and then you're not able to respond, they haven't really shown the ability to overcome that stuff. And now when you're without one of your best players, or potentially their best player, at least best scorer, 
this is a spot where it's going to be interesting for me to see how they respond. And I do want to look at the schedule again. And I don't like always looking at the schedule and saying, okay, this is when we can know. I think right now, the next 10 games, I know we talked a lot about this road trip. And I still feel like it was a big one for them. Here's who you play in your next 10. Vegas, big-time team. Toronto, big-time team. Minnesota, big-time team in the Central. Toronto again. New Jersey, one of the best teams in hockey. Minnesota again. Then Calgary twice. Mixed in there are two games against Chicago and then Montreal. But eight of those 10 games are against real potential contenders. That's when you're going to know everything you need to know if you're Doug Armstrong about this team. I think he already has a pretty good idea of what they are and what they're not. But if they go poorly in this 10-game stretch, I think Doug Armstrong will then say, it's time to sell. Maybe it doesn't happen immediately, but on January 13th, he'll probably have a pretty good idea of whether or not he's going to sell. I don't think that he will know for sure if he's going to buy at the end of this 10-game stretch, but I think that is the way that this team can prevent him from selling right away is playing really well on this 10-game stretch against legit competition all of which will probably be right there at the end of the playoffs whenever they whenever they get out of this yeah I, I agree with you because I, I think this 10 game stretch if you play well in it I agree I, I don't think you really convince Army to buy I think worst case or the best case scenario is you at least convince him that okay let's hold Pat for right now let's not send out any emails to all the other teams around the league going hey here's what we've got here's who here's who's available for the right price I, I think though if they do struggle in this I think there's a chance that the Western Conference we've kind of talked about this all year where the Western Conference has really left the Blues in the dust I think it's possible by the end of this 10 game stretch if you really struggle you go like three and seven in this stretch I think there's a chance that you could be looking pretty far of far from far view from that playoff picture because right now they're only four points back of Edmonton for the last wild card spot but that third spot in the central is starting to pull away from the Blues a little bit they are seven points back of Minnesota coming into today so I, I think if they struggle in this 10 game set that we're talking about I, I agree with you I think Armory will make the decision of okay we just saw what we look like against contenders we don't really have the roster built even though we thought we did coming into the year we don't have the roster that's built to go on a Stanley Cup run. It's better for us to sell off these assets that we have to kind of quickly retool on the fly for the following season. So I agree with you. I think if they struggle in this, they become sellers. If they play well, I think they at least put that conversation on pause. I don't think it shuts that conversation down completely, but at least puts it on pause until we get closer to the deadline. If they struggle in the stretch, they're going to be closer to the top overall pick than they will the playoffs. I think that's why you get to that place because right now – if you look at the NFL draft, or excuse me, the NHL draft order, you'd be 10th in the draft right now. If you end up playing poorly, like you're not far ahead of Philly, Vancouver, Ottawa, Montreal. If you struggle in this next stretch of games, you'll be behind only Chicago, Anaheim, Columbus, San Jose, and Arizona. Those are the bottom five with a pretty large margin between them and the rest of the teams. You'll be right there with Philly. For that sixth spot in the draft order if you struggle in these next 10 games and if that ends up happening i mean it's hard for doug armstrong to convince himself yeah i definitely need to bolster this roster to compete this year it just wouldn't be worth it coming up in 15 minutes we're diving into the junk drawer but coming up next 65780 is the air comfort service text line it is tanner's favorite segment of the week it is time for believe it or not here on 101 espn we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Oh, tis the season. Suddenly I'm 
Comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. If you've got a scenario, we will tell you if we are believing it or not. It's a Thursday edition of BK and Ferrario. We've got Mike McKenna coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. Junk drawer in about five minutes. All right, let's start with this one. Guys, believe it or not, organizations in Major League Baseball, such as the Dodgers, Mets, and Astros, forming what some fans are calling quote-unquote super teams, is actually great for Major League Baseball. Tanner, are the super teams good for Major League Baseball in your mind? Oh, man. I, I'm i going to believe it because I, I think they outweigh what your small market teams are unwilling to do. Because I do think I, – I wish every team would be willing to spend like $100 million, for example. There would be a floor that would force some of these sellers like Pittsburgh and Oakland to at least spend money that they have and are just unwilling to do. But I, I do think super teams are good for the sport because it gives people someone to kind of root against. Like the Golden State Warriors was fun when they were in basketball. The super team they had with Steph, Clay, and KD, it was fun for a year. And then after that, like they were the villain of the sport where you were basically rooting for someone to beat them. And, and I, I think when you get teams like this, like the Mets and how they are loading up the Yankees and them, I, I think it's fun for the sport because it's like, oh, cool, look at how great this team is. And then after a year or two, you're like, oh, man, I really hope someone beats that. So I do think it is good for the sport. I believe this. I think it's good because I think it's good to have a villain. Like, the Yankees were good for baseball. As much as people hated them, like, that's part of what made it fun. Everybody could, at the end of the season, root for one thing specifically, and that was whoever the Yankees were playing in the postseason. Like, if you guys remember in the late 90s, early 2000s, any time that the Yankees got beat, everybody nationally celebrated it. What gathered people more than the Red Sox coming back from down 3-0 against the Yankees? Think about that for a second. Once again, the nation was rooting for the plucky underdog, the Boston Red Sox. That happened. That is how much people hated the Yankees at the time. And I think the Mets are going to become that. Like before too long, every National League fan base is going to look at the the uh, Mets the way that we previously looked at the Yankees. So I think this is great for baseball. Now I would add this. If what they're doing works and they win like four of the next five world series, that's how it becomes bad for baseball. But I don't think that's going to happen because it it's almost never happened other than very briefly there at the end of the nineties when the Yankees were able to yeah. do it. But that was more based on uh, people don't talk about this as much, but internal talent that they developed most of that early or late 90s dynasty was was guys that they had developed internally. It wasn't going out and spending crazy money. It was the mid 2000s when that really started. So I I don't think this will happen for the Mets the way that it did in the 90s. But if it does, that's how it turns to being a bad thing. But I think it's still a few years away from that. That would then become the Warriors, where yeah. at first it was great. And then not so much because everybody was like, really, you're adding Kevin Durant to a team that just won the, the title. That's when it got bad. Um, and if they end up adding like Shohei Otani next year, oh my gosh. that's how it could get that. That would be their version of Kevin Durant for major league baseball. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air cover service X line for believe it or not guys, believe it or not. 
the Blues end up with three first-round draft picks in the upcoming year with their own pick coming in in the top ten. So the Blues have three first-round picks, and their pick, the Blues pick, will be a top ten selection, believe it or not. Negative, believe it or not, on a right before Christmas. Ah, man, I'm... I'm not going to believe this. I'm going to keep optimism, and I'm going to think that they get this figured out and Army holds on to some pieces and doesn't end up blowing this up, and they make the playoffs. Now, if they decide to blow this thing up, then, yeah, I can see that situation happening, but I'm going to keep belief that what I saw in the first three games of this road trip is them starting to put this thing together, so I'm not going to believe this. I'm going to remain optimistic before Christmas, and I'm going to live longer. Dang it. I think I'm with you, Tanner, because, well, just knowing Doug Armstrong, I don't see him trading both Tarasenko and O'Reilly. And I think if you're going to have three first round picks, that's what would have to happen. Uh, You're not going to get a first rounder for anybody else other than both of them. So I don't see it happening. I really don't. I'm not. Man, I think it's possible. Um, I'm going to have the Christmas spirit and say that I'm not going to believe it. But give me two weeks and that answer might change. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Here's an interesting one, guys. I just saw this on Twitter. The Boston Red Sox have officially designated Eric Hosmer for assignment. He will be a free agent and will be able to sign wherever he pleases. Now, Eric Hosmer is not a great player at this point in his career, but he's fine defensively at first base. You can play him over there. He is technically a left-handed bat. He did not hit well last year against right-handed pitchers. He was actually better against lefties than he was against righties, but he was slightly above league average offensively. Tanner, believe it or not, Eric Cosmer on a very cheap deal, maybe even league minimum, like a million bucks or a minor league invite type of thing, is the guy that the Cardinals should look to acquire this offseason as their quote-unquote lefty bat. I'm not going to believe it. I... I know you're saying he can play first base. He's still good defensively, but with him struggling against right-handed pitching last year. Two years ago, he was good against righties. Yeah. I, and last year, he was still slightly above league average offensively. I, I just see, I, I just don't see the perfect fit here in St. Louis. Like, guys that can play first base now for the Cardinals outside of Paul Goldschmidt, you can put Juan Yepes there when you need to give Goldie a day off. Do and, you feel good about it, though? Do you feel good about Juan Yepes at any position? No, Cardinals that's just why he catches the ball. Uh, I, I feel fine with Juan Yep as a DH. I, I don't have an issue with it. I mean, hell, they were putting him at third base last year. They had Burleson at first. So, like, I feel fine if he's the backup first baseman. And, again, Goldie's going to be playing a lot, so it doesn't really matter. It's only a handful of games. I I don't see Hosmer being a guy that just fits in St. Louis because if he's coming here, he's coming to be left-handed bat against right-handed pitching. He's, your, he's only he going to be actually be, first base. He would actually be your Albert Pujols replacement. That would actually be the guy that comes in and fills the role that Albert played last year, whereas your backup first baseman can play DH occasionally. I, I, first of all, don't think he would sign here because I think he's going to have opportunities elsewhere where he can play more often. So if he came into St. Louis, he's a pinch hitter, bench bat, and occasionally starts at first base. That would be his role. I would assume that he would have something else somewhere else that he could go and play more often. That being said, if he's willing to sign here for a million bucks... I mean, would you rather have Ben Gamble? Would you rather have Tyler Naquin? Maybe. I could see the appeal, though, of a guy like Eric Cosmer. I've also heard he's a great guy in the clubhouse. So I don't think it would be a great idea, but I could see it. I I, I, I could believe it. I, I could see it. I, I don't know. I just don't see the 
I don't see the Cardinals doing it. It, it just doesn't feel like right. a Cardinals move, in my opinion. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, now an analyst with the Daily Faceoff. Want to get his thoughts on where the Blues are at right now in terms of their trajectory on the season. He also previously worked in Vegas as a Golden Knights analyst. So we'll preview a little bit of the Blues versus the Vegas Golden Knights with Mike McKenna. That's coming up at the top of the hour. Coming up next, though, time for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. We'll be joined by Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, now an analyst over with the Daily Faceoff. In about five minutes or so, Tanner, what do you have for us today, my man? All right, so now, and I can't believe this is a thing, but a federal judge now says that you can sue a movie studio under false advertising if they release a, de- a deceptive movie trailer. So if I think that a trailer looks good and it ends up being trash based on the movie trailer, I can go ahead and sue. That's what you're telling me. I, you know, I don't think that's how it necessarily works. I mean, you could try it. I mean, who knows? It might I always work. feel this way about comedies or some comedy specifically where you, you view the trailer and you're like, for two minutes, they've got all their best jokes. The best jokes from the movie are all in that two minute stretch. And then you go see the movies and it's just those two minutes of jokes great but it's a two-hour film you're like so i saw all the best of basically in that two-minute stretch did i really even need to see the movie the answer is in a resounding no it's obviously not what they're talking about here what did this stem from so this stems from there's a movie called yesterday i i've never seen it never even heard of it until the till uh yesterday when i saw this but two people sued isn't this uh this is the movie that was based on the beatles right Ryder, have you seen this one? Yesterday, the the Beatles movie where they like, it's as if the Beatles had never existed for everybody except for this group of people. And then they recreate all of their music and they like become the biggest band in the world. So they become then the Beatles. I think that was this movie, if I'm not mistaken. So, but the reason the people sued this movie theater for this for false advertisement is because apparently in the trailer, there is Anna Day Armas. I think that's how you pronounce that. She is in the trailer for this movie. Well, people were fans of her work, so they decided, okay, well, we want to see her. We like her movie she's been in. Let's go rent the movie and we'll go watch it. Her scenes were cut out of the movie. <laughs> so those fans, in my opinion, were rightfully upset, thinking that they're going to see their favorite actress sure. and they're not in it. And I kind of understand where this is coming from now because, you know, I, I've got a bone to pick with Marvel. It's true. I do now. I'm a Hulk fan. Hulk He's in the trailer for Avengers Infinity War. Guess who's not in the movie, though? Hulk. It's just that Bruce Banner guy. Nobody cares about him. I've got an issue with Marvel. So are I'll you, are you now court. planning to sue? Yeah, I'll see him in court. You guys in on this? No, God, no. Oh, I need, I need <laughs> I more need backers. I'm not going to get any money out of that, and I'm not wasting money on lawyers. Oh. I'm good. I think we saw with the, uh, the Rams relocation suit that I... I'm good. I don't need to involve any lawyers on anything. If you want to be a part of that, though, by all means, I'm sure that you could get some class action suit that we could get a lot of our listeners in all on right. with when, you. When I win the big bucks, I'm ditching you guys. I'm done. What's your go-to Marvel movie? 
go-to Marvel movie? Like, if you could watch one over and over. I'm not even necessarily saying the best, but the one that you would watch consistently. What's the go-to? Are you a Marvel guy, Grant? I just told you not long ago, if you ask me if I've seen movies, you're going to be very disappointed. Yeah. But Marvel? Leave it at that. (laughs) Okay. Wow. (laughs) I feel like that's kind of important for modern pop culture references. I I told you. I would either rewatch, if I could only watch one, it would either be Captain America, Winter Soldier, or it would be the first Avengers. Those would be the two that I would probably say. Or I, I liked Avengers Endgame, but I like the kind of the older ones. Ragnarok is great. See, I'm not a big Ragnarok. Really? Fan. Yeah, no. Okay. Um, Winter Soldier's fantastic. Hulk was in that one. That, not that one. But that was a good one. one. I think those would probably be my top two. And then Iron Man is just a classic. Like, I, I don't think that you can go wrong with Iron oh, Man in general. 636 makes I can't see who Hulk is in the movie. He's at the very beginning. I forgot about that. You got the I one got point upset. you wanted to make in this entire segment was wrong. Damn it. I didn't watch the movie last night. <laughs> Somebody said if there's no cocaine in the Cocaine Bear movie, I am 100% suing. <laughs> that, that is, is true. <laughs> that is 100% reasonable. All right, coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including... The Titans feel like they're pretty much done at this point, but that could change if the Jags lose tonight. We'll explain that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, now an analyst for the Daily Faceoff. want to get his thoughts on the Blues, their trajectory, and what he's expecting from them against the Vegas Golden Knights. Mike McKenna is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. We do have a bit of an announcement for all of you guys out there that are potentially picking up tickets here at Hubbard Radio, whether it's for 101 ESPN or any of the music stations that we have. The front desk is officially closed now due to the inclement weather. Uh, it will open back up on Tuesday. I know it's a bit of an inconvenience. We truly apologize, but given what the weather situation is, our front desk has closed. So if you have any tickets, Hopefully they aren't going on over the weekend. Uh, You will be able to pick those up again starting on Tuesday at the beginning of business hours. That's the announcement coming up in 10 minutes. We'll get into some NFL quick hitters. But right now we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. The Blues are back in action tomorrow night in Vegas. Mike McKenna previously was an analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights. Now he's an analyst over at the Daily Faceoff and a former NHL goalie in his own right. He joins us here via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Hope you're enjoying the holiday season. How are you doing today? Oh, doing pretty good. Just watching all that snow flying around. I can't believe you guys are in the office right now. That's uh, that's gonna be a fun trip home, eh? It definitely feels like hockey weather, doesn't it? I, I do feel like I'm in Canada at the moment. Uh, hopefully, it goes well for me on the way home. We will take it uh, low and slow and figure out our way on these roads. Uh, Mike, I wanted to get your thoughts on this Blues team because I mean, the last time we talked, it was as topsy turvy as it is right now. It feels like. They, the only way they know how to play is they're up really high for a little bit and then they're down really low. It's there is no in between for them. What do you make of this team? Because you have a better grasp on the rest of the league than we do maybe locally. What do you make of the Blues relative to the Western Conference right now? Well, right now, I mean, you're trying to find teams that have that same type of consistency. And even some of the front runners like the Vegas Golden Knights, who the Blues are going to face tomorrow night. 
you know, they've had ebbs and flows as well. You know, you're really looking more towards the East with teams like Carolina and Boston that they just bring it every single night. And what concerns me about the Blues, though, is that they have, they've not been Jekyll and Hyde to me. They've been a roller coaster. They've been, they've been up. They've been down. It's been so streaky. And it really feels like the club's just trying to still forge an identity, which is crazy because it's been mostly the same core group of players. Um, but I think for me, I, you know, I just, I'm coming out and trying to think of different Christmas gifts for all NHL teams. And the Christmas gift I can think of for the St. Louis Blues is a jail, get out of jail free card because they're going to hit another patch where things go sideways this year, where they can't win games. And they've got to minimize that to be a two or three game skid rather than an eight game skid. And I think that comes from structure and it comes from compete level. Compete level has been better for me. Um, but there's signs though, right? Penalty kills way improved. Like that's one little thing you can look to that I think is a little bit of hope that the blues should be better going down the stretch run here in the NHL this season. With that being said, Mike, when we look at that Western Conference, I, I think it feels more open than it did last year, where last year it always felt like to me that Colorado was clearly the best team and they end up going to win the Stanley Cup. If the Blues are still close by the time we get closer to the trade deadline, do you think that pushes Army to hold on to his pieces and say, you know what, this is open in the Western Conference, let's make a run at this? Or do you think he says, we've got two too good of assets in Ryan O'Reilly, Vladimir Tarasenko, that he still looks to move on from them potentially? That's a great question because it's like you say, like the Western Conference especially is pretty wide open this year. Um, last year it was cut and cut and dry. I mean, you were going to get Colorado, you're going to get Minnesota, you're going to get St. Louis coming out of the Central. That's pretty much what the expectation was. It's what ended up happening. You know, this year, who's to say? You know, Dallas is in the mix. Winnipeg's in the mix. Colorado's barely in a spot right now. So you're looking at this grouping of teams: St. Louis, Dallas, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Colorado. There's going to be an odd man out there at least one. And right now we haven't seen the consistency from St. Louis to be included among that same group, especially considering how well Minnesota and Winnipeg have played lately. Um, Dallas has been pretty consistent this year. We expect Colorado when they get healthy. Once again, they're missing Nathan McKinnon, uh, Gabriel Landis got big time players. They're going to be there. So is this going to be a year that's similar for the blues to win? They dealt Paul Stastny to the Winnipeg jets, even knowing that they had a good chance at playoffs. I'm not sure of that. I do think you have to look at Tarasenko, though, and think, well, he hasn't done what's expected on the power play, which is bread and butter. You know, where's his game? Can you get much for him at the deadline? I could see him being moved, even if the Blues are right on the cusp of making playoffs. Ryan O'Reilly, though, I'd be very surprised. Why is that? Well, I just feel at this point, if you're going to have a team that's going to make a push at playoffs, you have to have the leadership aspect. And you can't ship your captain off right before at a trade deadline when you're still going for it. You just can't. You can't dish out the heart of your club and objectively look around the locker room and say, we've still got a chance. So that's that's a hard part. That's what GM what Doug Armstrong is going to have to navigate. Um, and I think really by the time we get closer to the deadline, it's going to play itself out because if St. Louis is four or five points out of the mix, you know, I think Army's going to have to look at and just say, man, I, I'm not sure how we can overcome this. We need to get what we can. Mike, do you think there's a scenario in which they can do a little bit of both, like sell off, say, like you mentioned, of Vladimir Tarasenko, and then also be kind of a buyer at the deadline? Or do you think you have to go one direction or the other? You can't do both. Oh, I think it's possible to do both. It just depends what your asset uh, might be that you're getting a return. And, you know, someone like Tarasenko, who's an instant jolt to energy for the offense of a club elsewhere, you would expect at least. Um, you might be able to get a young player out of that uh, in that type of deal. But typically trade deadline deals, it's, 
it's really tough to get younger prospects out of that. You know, when you're when you're basically dealing with rentals, um, there's going to be an awful lot of, of picks being traded back and forth, longer-term players. It's not often that you're going to get a roster player. And for me, if I'm the Blues, I want a roster player back that's going to make a difference, and especially on the right side right now. So well, who are you going to be able to uncover to take that role uh, in a trade for a team that's trying to upgrade that position, albeit short-term? It's just a really, really hard puzzle to try to put together. Uh, I think it's possible, but I think you're more likely to be receiving futures than you would be to receiving um, players that you would slot directly into your lineup. Mike McKenna is our guest here on 101 ESP, and you can find his work over at the Daily Faceoff. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike McKenna 56. Uh, Mike, one of the things that I did want to ask you about is the resurgence of Jordan Cairo. Now, he was not able to play in the Seattle game. We don't know what the expectation is for his availability against Vegas, but he's been one of the top point producers in the NHL over the course of the last six weeks. I think it's since November 10th. He's third in the NHL in points. What have you seen from him that has been different compared to the player that we saw the first you know, month of the season or so? Well, I haven't seen him straight-legging it all over the ice. I don't have any other way to say it. You know, He's moving his feet. He's playing harder on pucks. And I think, um, to me, a real microcosm of that is what Cairo did against the Edmonton Oilers just recently. And he goes and wins a battle against Connor McDavid behind the net to strip the puck, get it out front, and team moves on to a 4-3 victory and a shootout there. And if Cairo hadn't played so hard on that puck and gotten into the offensive zone with a bunch of jam, it doesn't happen. And I think realistically when you know you come into a season and you've just signed a big deal and it doesn't feel good right off the bat and your energy level is not quite there for whatever reason, it's not a good excuse, okay? It's unacceptable completely. Uh, I think you're looking for little victories along the way. You know, and I just, it's amazing, guys, even during my career, I'd have these moments where it's like, man, I just, I did something I wasn't sure I could do. That play on McDavid's one of those where you start to see more of that, right? Can, can Kairou start to continue to keep that game after game? There's been more of it for me. And, and on top of that, it's just the fact that this guy's putting pucks on net, man. If you want to look towards why Kairou's going to be successful, when he starts getting up into five, six, seven shot range, night in and night out, you know it's coming because it's not just on the rush. He's also generating in zone. He's generating on the power play. And you have to have those layers to your game if you want to be a premier player in the league. Mike, what have you made of Jordan Bennington so far this season? Because at this time last year we were talking to you about his struggles. And this year in his last five, he's 3-1-1. But when you look at his numbers overall in the year, his save percentage is below 900. What have you thought of him so far this year? I've been pretty happy with Bennington for the most part. I mean, I, when I watch these games, I don't think he has given games away. And that's, I know that's a low bar, it seems like, right? You're not losing games because of a goalie. But, I mean, look at the Seattle Kraken. They haven't gotten good goaltending, and they're sitting third in the Pacific right now, okay? Imagine if they'd had good goaltending. So I, I think Bennington has really performed slightly above uh, what the team has in front of him, even though, like you say, those traditional numbers may not show it, and even the advanced ones aren't great either. Um, but I think the team, as they've started to clean up a little bit in front, I think the, like to me, I think the forwards have done a lot better collapsing and helping out the D in the defensive zone and not allowing these passes to go right through the middle of the ice and backdoor tappings left and right for Bennington to try to contend with. Um, that's helped him. So, you know, I think when Bennington just is able to focus Right, you know, all the antics are in the past. I think Chief pretty much squashed that by just telling him, "Hey, come on, don't do that anymore." That was it. Simple conversation. Um, he's been good, and and more than anything, guys, I just love how he handles the puck, man. I think that his his 
ability to get that puck to D and start the breakout is a really big asset for the Blues. Uh, it's better than what Grice can do, and obviously he's a number two. But that really helps Bennington get this team going, especially when you've got players like Thomas and Kyrie that can skate so well. We'll get you out of here on this. Mike, we talked about the Blues road trip right now, first in Western Canada and now to the Pacific Division with Seattle and Vegas as being super important for Doug Armstrong to be able to figure out a little bit, learn about this team. They have started this road trip three and one, and now they finish it in Vegas. What do you think we can learn about the Blues as they go into Vegas to play them tomorrow night? Well, we're probably going to learn what it's like to see a team that was in Vegas two nights in advance of a game on a Wednesday. Um, I don't have any insider knowledge. I wonder if they did rookie party there. <laughs> oh, I didn't think about kind of, that. I don't know whether they had or not, guys, but if I'm looking at the schedule, I'm looking at Wednesday night in Vegas on the 21st. It's probably the perfect chance. Again, that's that, I have no clue, so please don't take that to the bank at all. But um, I, I think real realistically, again, you're looking at a club in Vegas that they play really hard structurally. And if the Blues can break through the structure that Bruce Cassidy's put in place for that team in Vegas, I think it says a lot about your offensive side. Um, but you're also going to have to stay out of the box against Vegas because their their power play has been really good recently. And even if Vegas or even if St. Louis's PK is much improved, which I think it has been lately, um, that's still kind of a litmus test. So, you know, I think for Armstrong, he's probably looking this, at this objectively, thinking, "Man, we went into Alberta, took two straight games, back-to-back situations on the road." You know, we went to Van, we took care of business. We didn't have our legs in the second half of the back-to-back against Seattle. Okay, we'll throw that one out the window. If they go into Vegas and beat a really good structural team that is a little bit banged up now injury-wise in Vegas, that's a pretty big win. 4-1 and one on that road trip against good teams, other teams that you're going to be battling out in the Western Conference, I'd be pretty happy with that if I'm Doug Armstrong. I will say uh, Robert Thomas was on the morning show today. They called him at 9.30 Central Time, 8.30 Vegas Time. Uh, He did seem a little tired, so I'm not Mm. confirming or denying what you have said, (laughs) but it just, you know, if you're reading the tea leaves here, it, it feels at least possible. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy yourself during this holiday season, and we'll talk with you again very soon. Sounds good. Yeah. Be safe, everybody out there. I'm looking at these roads. Just uh, take care of one another. Man, it's no fun driving around St. Louis like this. So I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. That's Mike McKenna joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time here on the show. You can check him out over on the Daily Face Off. He does a show over there. He writes over there. You can also follow all of his work on Twitter at Mike McKenna 56. I'm super excited to watch this game tomorrow night. Blues at Vegas Golden Knights pregame for that one starts on 101 ESPN at eight o'clock. We will have curbs alongside Rizzuto and Donnie. They will be broadcasting live from hot shots down in Fenton. So if you want to check them out, you can go watch the broadcast live down at hot shots in Fenton. I think this is a big one. We're going to learn a lot about the Blues, and I think Doug Armstrong is going to learn a lot about his team as well. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're playing a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. But next, some NFL quick hitters, including Ryan Tannehill, has officially been ruled out for this weekend's game against the Texans. He also might be out for the rest of the season. What does that mean for the race in the AFC South? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. The big news of the day, at least as of what's going on right now, is that the Titans have officially ruled out Ryan Tannehill for the Texans game. Now, this is the start of what could be 
more potential missed games for Ryan Tannehill. According to multiple reports, he very well may end up missing the rest of the season for the Titans. Now, go over to the AFC South standings. Titans are at 7-7. Seven and seven. Jaguars are one game back at 6-8. and eight. It is also worth noting that the Jaguars earlier this season, head-to-head against the Titans, beat the Titans. That was just a couple of weeks ago. And oh, by the way, you look at week 18, the two play head-to-head against one another. So the AFC South is very much up for grabs. We saw Malik Willis for a couple of games earlier this year. He, listen, for as fun as he is, he's just not ready to be a starting quarterback in the NFL right now. The final three games for the Titans, Houston, Dallas, and at Jacksonville. The final three games for the Jags, tonight against the New York Jets on the road, next week at the Houston Texans, and then the final week against the Titans. Tanner, is it officially the Jaguars' division to lose in the AFC South after this news? I I think it is because I agree with you. Malik Willis is not ready, and even though Houston only has one win coming into this weekend's matchup, they've been playing better football of late. So I think there's a chance you see Tennessee lose to Houston. I I think the saving grace for them this week is the fact of the matter that Houston can't stop the run and Henry should just feast on them there. But I think they lose to Dallas next Thursday. And then I think they go on the road and lose to Jacksonville. And I, I think Jacksonville is going to win the next three games because I think they win tonight against the Jets. I think they will beat Houston. I think they'll handle Houston pretty easily. And, and then when it comes down to it, I think I, my guess right now is that that game at the end of the year at Jacksonville is going to be the Sunday night football game. And I, I think Jacksonville Agreed. will be favored, and I would take Jacksonville in that matchup. I, I think they're, I think they're going to win the AFC Are you South. saying you're taking the over seven wins now? Shut up. I hate you. <laughs> For those not familiar, Tanner, me, and Alex made a bet. Me and Alex were on the same side. Tanner was on the very opposite side. Tanner might be good at football gambling on an individual game basis. He's terrible, absolutely trash when it comes to his preseason expectations for teams. He did not see the Jags as a five-win team, much less a seven-win team. And guess what? They're probably going to win eight or nine games this year at a minimum. I, mean, I just so want to point out to too, that six pack that at one point in the season, I'm looking to see where they were sitting when you guys started, when they were three and seven going into the six. bye week, I didn't hear you guys going, they're still going to get there. And guess what? Did they I heard get a lot there? of panic. Are they I heard a there? lot of panic. Yeah. Yeah. Should try to get you guys to like, was it over early. when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? I don't think so. Good, sir. You don't understand that reference, uh, Grant, because you don't see movies, but it's a good one. It's worth watching. All right. Speaking of the NFL slate this Sunday, Tanner, if you could, or Saturday and Sunday, I guess, since we've got the split games on Christmas Eve slash Christmas day, If you could only sit in front of the television this weekend and watch one NFL game, what is the one that you would pick out for this upcoming weekend slate? Oh, man, there's a lot of good ones this week, but I I think the one that I'm going to go with, let me let me take back what I said. The the Sunday slate kind of stinks on Christmas Day. Uh, I I would say Eagles at Cowboys. I, I know that they're starting Gardner Minshew. It's not going to be Jalen Hurts. But I'm interested to see if the Cowboys can bounce back. Yep. Defensively, they've been really bad the last couple of weeks. I think that's the one that I've got circled. There are some interesting ones in the early slate as well. But I'm just curious to know what Dallas looks like because I don't think they can come back and win the NFC East. But can they start to right the ship? They're the team that I've got an eye on of, okay, if they can get this figured out in the final three weeks, they've got a chance to go on a run in the playoffs. They can't beat Gardner Minshew. I think you can write off the Dallas Cowboys. Mine is very simple. I'm going Giants at the Vikings. That was mine, too. Are the Vikings real or not? Because they're 11-3. and three, They're 7-1 and one at home this season. But every game is one score. Every single one of them. Even last week, they needed the biggest comeback in NFL history to beat a bad Indianapolis Colts team. 
at home. That's not what a 11 and three team is supposed to look like. Last year, I never bought into the Titans despite the record. They ended up deserving, earning a buy. But I never bought into that team as a real contender in the AFC. I feel the same way this year about the Minnesota Vikings. Are they good? Yeah, they're, they're a really solid team. And Kirk Cousins has put together a very good season. I just don't believe in them as a contender. If they are one, they should dominate in this game. The Giant, Giants are much like the Vikings in that they're 8-5, and five, but their record is a mirage. This is not a very good football team. They're fine, but nothing more than that. The Vikings should win this one by 10-plus points if they're real. I think it's going to be close, though, so that's the game that I would watch. Tanner, I thought your game would be Broncos-Rams. <laughs> they are painful to watch. Nobody no should watch that game. <laughs> no. By the way, the over-unders, the point totals on some of these games are just awful because of weather, because of bad offenses going up against one another. The total, the point total in the Broncos at the Rams. This is not due to weather. This is in L.A. 36 and a half points because Lord. of how bad those offenses are. Then you look at some of the weather games. Raiders at Steelers, 38 and a half. Falcons at Ravens, 35 and a half. What is I, Bill's Bears? Because I saw that's supposed to be the coldest game plus a windy 40 game. 40 and a half. Oh, that one's actually pretty high. Saints at Browns, 32. <laughs> I, I genuinely can't remember the last time that I saw a point total that low. 32. They are projecting that game to be like 17 to 14. As a final score, that's as bad as it gets. Texans, Titans, 35 and a half. I mean, I I can't remember a week, at least in the recent memory, where games were this low scoring, or at least the expectations were. I I would take the over in that Saints-Browns game. Maybe I'm crazy, but I would take the over in that one. I would take the under quicker than you can say anything in that Broncos-Rams game. Oh, the Saints-Browns, under. Really? Heavy under. I would go over. 13-10. Have you watched the Browns offense with Deshaun Watson? it's, It's not been great. It looks like Russell Wilson. Yeah. The only reason he's not getting the same amount of criticism as Russ is because he hasn't been available all year long. I had Nick Chubb on my fantasy team. Reason I said had is because I stopped checking officially. Yeah. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line from the six three six. Oh, why are you why are you down? Did I hear you say when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The Germans never bomb, bur- bombed Pearl Harbor, Mister. You wouldn't understand that reference. Are we officially at a place where we, that reference is too old? Is that outdated now? Yeah, Grandpa. Man, what a lo- what a time to be alive. All right, uh, as we continue with some NFL quick hitters, guys, who is the team that you want to see how they respond this week when it comes to going up against another opponent to tell you something about them? Because for me, it's the Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks were a really fun story early on in the season. They are now a 10-point road underdog in Kansas City. Geno Smith has fallen back to earth recently. Yesterday, Tanner, we had the segment on which quarterbacks you would keep versus which ones you would decide to move on from. You said if you're the uh, the Seahawks, you would not give Geno Smith a long-term contract extension. This is the kind of game where if Geno is going to be their quarterback next year, he needs to keep them in it. He's going to be without Tyler Lockett. That is a big loss for the Seattle offense, but they have Kenneth Walker in there. The Chiefs run defense has been better lately, but that should be a defense that he can run against. And DK Metcalf should eat in this game against the Chiefs corners. I want to see how Seattle plays in this one. I think they're going to be able to keep it close. What's the game that you're going to be looking for? I like that one, but just to go a little bit different, it's tonight. It's it's the Jets. How do you respond? I mean, I know you're starting Zach Wilson, but three straight losses for them. They've lost three of the last four since the bye. And now, granted, the three losses they've had have been against contenders. Minnesota, who we just talked about. They're a team that we're going to find out more about them this weekend. Buffalo, really good, only lost by eight with Mike White. And last weekend, Zach Wilson lost by three to Detroit. It's make or break for this uh, New York Jets team. And 
Zach Wilson, for as bad as he is, the weather's going to play a factor in this. We talked about this yesterday. Just got a pretty good run defense. Can they shut down the Jaguars' run? And with the weather, can that help them kind of stay in this with Jacksonville? They're in need of a win big time. I'm interested to see how they respond. I think Robert Sala is a great head coach. He's just got a bad quarterback situation. I'm interested to know how they respond this week. And even though it's against the Texans, just the whole Ryan Tannehill situation, I'm also very interested to see what Tennessee is able to do this weekend. I think that's fair. If you had to pick one upset going into this weekend, Tanner, final thing for NFL quick hitters, we'll get to one's got to go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go coming up here in about five minutes or so. If you had to pick an upset based on the Vegas spread, not just a random selection where ah, I think this is no. If you had to pick one upset based on the Vegas spread, what would you go with straight up? I think I would go with there's a couple that I have some kind of intrigue in. The one that I think could happen this weekend, and I think Alex was the one who took this game, and you can correct me if I'm wrong there. I think Washington might beat San Francisco. I, I'm not in on the Brock Purdy thing. And Washington, they're getting Chase Young back. Are you just saying that because you're going up against Randy this week in fantasy football and he's got Brock Purdy? No, <laughs> I wouldn't do something like that. But I but I do think Washington can win this game. I, I think... Taylor Heineke bounces back. I thought he had a rough game against the Giants. I, I think they play well enough. They're a seven-point underdog. I would have taken Washington on the spread in this game. I think they can win. I, I think Washington bounces back. They take down San Francisco. That would be my upset pick of the week. Grant, you got any upsets that you like going into this weekend? I kind of have a feeling the Colts are going to beat the Chargers. Oh, that would be quite the With upset. Nick Foles? I like it. That's I the kind of have thing a I feeling. I just the Colts coming off of that that loss where they had the thirty three to nothing lead against Minnesota. They're at home against L A. I don't know. That one just feels like it's going to be an upset for the Chargers. Can, you tell, can I tell you one real quick that I would just love to see because it'll be great chaos and I love it when it, there's chaos down the final two weeks of the NFL season. The Texans over the Titans? No, that, that's chaos. But that's not enough. Bears against the Bills? No. Okay. What is it? Carolina over Detroit. That is mine. I've got. Two I of like them. it. I've got two of them. Panthers beating the Lions. Lions have not been the same team on the road offensively this year that they have been at home. I like the Panthers to potentially upset Detroit in that game. I also have the game that we've been referencing a few different times. I think it's going to be so low scoring and so ugly that anything can happen, but it shouldn't surprise anybody if the Saints end up beating the Browns on the road. Saints are a three-point underdog in that one. I would probably pick them straight up against Cleveland. I am rooting for Carolina to win, and somehow the Cardinals, with whatever quarterback it is, sadly in prime time on Christmas night, to take down Tampa Bay because the chaos will be great. And I think if I remember correctly, I think the Panthers control their destiny. If they win out... And do Tampa they have another one out. against Tampa? I think they do. So. Yeah, they've got one more game against say, Tampa I Bay. I think so, if yeah. they win out, they control their destiny. And I'm rooting for a team that fired Matt Rule Can to you make imagine? the playoffs. It'd be the best story in the NFL. I mean, now, they, they'll get killed in the first round, but <laughs> it'll be great. Yeah, their final three games: home against Detroit, on the road at Tampa Bay, on the road at New Orleans. Um, they are sitting one game right now behind the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So if the Panthers went out, they would make the playoffs as the uh, the four seat in the NFC. They would yes. host a playoff game in Carolina. That would be unbelievable. All right, coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind. But next, one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. 
65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Four ones got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which ones got to go. Let's start with this one from the 314. One's got to go Christmas theme edition. Christmas songs, Christmas movies, eggnog, or snow. Which one's got to go? I can, I'll start things out. Eggnog is trash. Everybody that pretends that they like it is lying to you. Eggnog is not good. It is not good this time of the year. It is not good in the summer. It is not good at any time of the year. It's kind of like a lot of the Thanksgiving foods that people tell you that they love so much. Here we go. Only reason that people think that they like it is because they think they're supposed to like it. Eggnog's not good. That one's got to go. I agree with you. I think eggnog's got to go because I think Christmas songs are the best. Christmas movies, they're good. Um, and snow. I like If the snow stays on the ground and I wake up Christmas morning, it's going to feel like Christmas. Not when I – typically when I was growing up, I'd get like a new basketball every year, the family new basketball, and we could go play outside on Christmas Day in the 60s. That's just not Christmas. So I agree. I'm not the biggest fan of eggnog. I, I think it's got to go. I, I think that's the easy choice here. You can grill me all you want. I know this isn't a popular opinion, oh, no. but I Christmas music drives me up a wall. Oh, I, I can't take Christmas music, get man. Get the hell out of here. I know. It's fine. I, started, I was ready for it. I expected that. I start listening to it like two months before Christmas. Tanner is Jesus. the biggest Christmas music fan. July 25th. That you will ever make. Always listen to it because it's six months to Christmas. 65780 is the error comfort service text line for one's gotta go. One gotta go Christmas movie edition. Christmas story. Grant, you can sit this one out. Again. Yeah, I'll, I'll take pass on <laughs> Christmas this. vacation, Home Alone, or the Santa Claus. Tanner, which one's got to go? Oh, I think it's Christmas. Uh, story, vacation, Christmas Home story. Alone, or name. Santa yeah. Claus. Sorry, I drew a blank there for a second. Christmas story is the one that's got to go. I think go. it's become in vogue now to hate on Christmas story. Christmas story is fine. It's not my favorite movie in the world, it's not, it's not, but it's fine. It's not better than the other three on this list. It's better than the Santa Claus. Oh, no chance. The Santa Claus is clearly oh, the fourth best movie on this list. You are a screw. Christmas Vacation is is timeless. It's, good. it's fantastic. It gets better and better with time. Christmas Story is a really solid movie that deserves to be played every time around this time of year. Home Alone's great. Santa Claus is fine. It's fine. That would definitely be the the one that I would get rid of that here. That might be the worst take you've ever had on this radio no. station. No, no, no. I've had far worse. They, Trust they me. Play I've had Christmas way worse. Story twenty four hours on Christmas Day. They play it too much leading up to Christmas. Well, that's on oh, you. Well, for my mom it. drug me to the Christmas house. She did what? She drug me to the Christmas house on a vacation. To in Cleveland is where the house is. She made us go. I hated it. Out. Terrible All right. movie. All right. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. One got to go worst MLB franchise edition. The Pirates, the A's, the Cincinnati Reds, or the Miami Marlins. Pirates, A's, Reds, or Marlins. Which one's got to go? I think this one's easy, and I think it's the Oakland A's. Not only do they never spend money, every now and then the Reds will. I mean, we saw them have that big payroll a couple years ago. Miami's willing to spend some money. Pittsburgh at times will do it. It's not often, but they do do it every now and then. And also, Oakland's got the worst ballpark. I've never been to it, but it looks like trash. Pittsburgh's got a beautiful ballpark. Mm-hmm. That might be my favorite in all of baseball. The Reds is nice. Haven't been to Miami's, but it looks good. There, there's nothing good about the Oakland A's. Legitimately nothing. So I think they've got to go. Yeah, I was about to say, just look at the payroll. It'll tell the story right there. I'd say the A's too. Yeah, the A's are the easy answer here. The A's are the team that's probably going to literally go. They're going to go to Vegas. So um, I think they're telling, like, when they make some of these trades, you mentioned this the other day. I think it was about a week ago after they made the Murphy deal. Like, what they got in return for 
Olsen, Murphy, and who else? Chapman. Those yeah. three. They got a bunch of volume. They didn't get any like legit star prospects in return for an excellent first baseman that is now a real starter, a, a middle of the order bat for a contender. One of the best defensive third basemen in the history of baseball and a catcher with multiple years left of club control that is like 20% above league average offensively. They got nothing of significance back in return for those three players. That's impossible. Like, Do you know how hard it is to do that? They basically made the Nolan Arenado deal three separate times. And I don't, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember them getting that big a haul for Sean Manaya or Chris Bassett. Nope. Nope. So they've done it five times. Yeah, it's, it's baffling. I mean, you look back, I think it was like the 2018 Oakland A's. Their roster was really good. And if they had just simply kept it together, it wouldn't have cost them an arm and a leg. It was a reasonable price for them. Uh, they're, they're the team that clearly, clearly has to go. 65780 is the air comfort service text line up for ones gotta go. Uh, one gotta go big time St. Louis moments edition. David Freeze game six. Blues fin- uh, finish their Stanley Cup run. Albert Pujols' return. Or the Rams winning the Super Bowl. Freeze game six, Blue Stanley Cup, Albert's return, or the Rams winning the Super Bowl? Mm. Well, I can't get rid of the baseball ones because those are some of my favorites since I've been alive. I think I'd keep the Blues one too because they're here. So the Ra- I'm a Rams fan, but the Rams left, so they don't belong here. They got to go. Get them out of here. I think that's my answer as well. Albert's return is special, man. Like th- This past season is as much fun as I've had watching baseball in a long time. David Freeze game six, Blue Stanley Cup, those are the top two. Like, put those to a different category completely it's between albert's return and the rams winning the super bowl rams are no longer part of our town that's the one that's got to go yeah i mean i was barely alive when the rams won the super bowl too so that's got to go for me as well yeah that one feels super obvious to me for tanner hendrickson and grant francis i'm brandon kiley alex is out today he'll be back next week on tuesday when we return by the way if you missed the announcement earlier today if you're looking to come up here Uh, to pick up some tickets. The front office is officially closed due to the inclement weather. Uh, It'll open back up on Tuesday. So if you've got some tickets that you need to pick up, don't do it today. Come in Tuesday or sometime next week, you'll be able to get them. But today, the front office is officially closed. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind, including which outfielder is the most important for the Cardinals to succeed in 2023? We'll give you our thoughts, hear from you. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, if you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can find it. While we are off over the next few days, if you want to catch up on anything, you'll find the opening drive, the balloon party, BK and Ferrario in the fast lane, all of the podcasts from this week or anytime previously, all available on the 101 ESPN app. So check that out during the holiday break. Quick announcement, some housekeeping here. The front desk is officially closed here at Hubbard Radio due to the inclement weather. If you are needing to pick up some tickets, wait till next week. Tuesday is when we open back up in the normal business hours. So wait to pick those up until next week due to the weather. And tomorrow night, Blues versus the Golden Knights. You'll hear that right here on 101 ESPN. Pre-game starts at 8 o'clock. Puck drop at 9 with Chris Kerber, Scott Rizzuto, 
and Donnie Fandango over at Hot Shots in Fenton. So if you want to check out a live broadcast with Chris Kerber, he will be there tomorrow night starting at 9 o'clock. By the way, Chris Kerber and Michelle Smallman coming up from 2 to 6 on the Fast Lane today. All right, let's hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind. I tweeted this out earlier today asking a very simple question, Tanner. Who is the most important Cardinals outfielder in 2023? I gave three options. Tyler O'Neill, Lars Newbar, Dylan Carlson. I added one other where they could say other, specify who you think it is. Basically, nobody voted for that one. Out of roughly 500 votes so far, 55% have said Tyler O'Neill, 30% say Dylan Carlson, and 12% say Lars Newbar. The basis for this question was Kevin Wheeler, who was on the best podcast in baseball over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. Check it out if you can, who said this yesterday on that podcast. Carlson has to be legitimate in my, in my opinion he has to be because you don't have that many other guys that you can plug into center Burleson can't play center Newt Barr is the one that would have to I guess Tyler O'Neill could mm-hmm. uh, but if O'Neill struggles you can put Donovan out there you can put uh, Yepes out in left field you can put Burleson out in left field I just think you have more ways to cover if O'Neill's not good I think it gets a lot tougher if Carlson's bad I think there are two different ways to look at this Tanner I think there's the upside view and there is the if they're all bad, which one is the most important to like give you a baseline kind of view upside wise. I think the answer is Tyler O'Neill because we know what his upside is. It's one of the five best players in the National League because we literally just saw it a year ago. If you're looking at it, though, from the everything's a disaster, betting on these guys was the wrong decision. Who would you most want to keep that floor to be just like a solid player? I think the answer then is either one of Lars Newbar or Dylan Carlson for two reasons. One, they're younger and they have more cost control. And for the future of the outfield, it's more important for them to be good moving forward. And for the here and now, those are the two guys that I trust the most to play center field, as Wheels just said there. I think you've got other options that you, if necessary, could play in the corners. Like you could play Donovan or Burleson or Yepes or Jordan Walker in the corner spots later on down the road. For the here and now, you need somebody that can play center field. You have nobody in the minors that projects to be that right now. Newt or Carlson are the are the most important in that regard. So I think it's almost two different answers depending on which way you view it. Yeah, and I, I view it more in that high upside kind of range because I, I do think if you're going to have one of the top five offenses in baseball, which we talked about at the very beginning of the show, or have the best offense in baseball, I think one of the outfielders has to hit their ceiling, whether that's O'Neal or Newbar. And I've seen O'Neal do it. And I believe O'Neal can do it again if he's healthy. So I would say that the most important Cardinal coming in or most important outfielder coming into 2023 would be Tyler O'Neill because if he's healthy, he's right. I mentioned it earlier, and I know Wheels mentioned it on that podcast as well. He has the potential to be a 30-30 guy, 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases if he runs enough. At minimum, I think he can be a 30-20 guy. Plus, he can hit 280, and he can get on base at a decent clip. So for me, I always look at I, I would look at the upside one because I, I don't think even, even if Carlson and the whole outfield struggles, I don't think Carlson's defense is good enough to allow him to kind of float by still. He's not Harrison Bader where it was like, hey, I don't care what I'm getting offensively. That guy's like the best defensive center fielder in baseball. So I look more at the upside play, and I'd say Tyler O'Neill is the most important Cardinals outfielder in 2023. I think that's reasonable. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. BK, you got you killed me with that one. The one season that Tyler O'Neill had, you automatically think that's who he is. That's not smart logic. Smart logic will tell you to go based on what you've seen in all of his other seasons, unless on the, what the one season was where he was very good. He's a high strikeout guy with a lot of injuries and an average offense with great defense. That's who Tyler O'Neill is. Maybe. 
Maybe that's who he ends up becoming. Maybe it was a one-off where Tyler O'Neill had one great season where everything went his way. He was healthy. He was hitting. He rode that confidence wave all the way through the regular season. And we look back on it and say, man, remember that shooting star that was Tyler O'Neill, where for one season, he was one of the best players in all of baseball. That's very possible. That being said, he showed you that it is in his range of outcomes. He showed you that he's capable of doing that. Is it fair to chase that again? Yeah, I think for one more season, because this past year he did have the injuries that he dealt with. I think it's whether you think it's an excuse or an explanation, both could be true. So for me, I I think Tyler O'Neill, the upside that they're betting on, it's still there. Just a matter of him being able to stay healthy. Hopefully the training that he's doing this offseason is able to help him get there. But I I think that I'm with you, Tanner, in general. To answer the question more directly, I, I do think that Tyler O'Neill is probably the single most important player in their outfield because if he does end up going right, if this is more of the 2021 season, you've got that locked into left field every single day with plus defense, plus running, plus at the plate. He is that true five tool player. And if Tyler O'Neill becomes that, your two through six is now set every single day, basically, because you could have. Donovan or Newt, whoever you want, batting second. And then you've got the three, four, five of those three big bats. And now probably Tyler O'Neill bat- batting six for you. That's about as good as it's going to get in the National League. Yeah. And I said this yesterday, you know, now the National League, because all these teams are loaded in their lineup, used to, we said this last year, you basically need three impact bats, three impact starters, and four impact relievers. I think it's now shifting towards the need four impact bats. And the guy that can really provide that for the Cardinals is, is Tyler O'Neill. And, and part of that, too, is also to your point, you said he's a five star player. He's the only guy, in my opinion, if he reaches his ceiling, can be a five-star player for the St. Louis Cardinals. Maybe Newt, but I, I think O'Neill edges him out there because he's got got a little bit more power than what Lars Newpar does. But that that's why I would say you need a fourth impact bat to develop this year, and I think it's going to come from O'Neill, and I think he's the only guy that can probably be it. For Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Be safe out there driving. If you're going to go to the Bragging Rights game, enjoy yourself out there tonight. If you're a Mizzou fan, go Mizzou tomorrow in the bowl game as well. Can't wait to talk to you guys on Tuesday at 11 a.m. when we are back from all of us here on BK and Ferrari on a 101 ESPN. Have a happy holidays. We'll talk to you guys later. The Fast Lane's coming up next. I love love a good blow-up. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.